From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 83 of Space Brains and tonight we're talking about science fiction film Extinction. Came out in 2018. In this episode we will reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film language, Plus a nice deep dive into a specific piece of science the filmmakers are proposing. Extinction is directed by West Australian filmmaker Ben Young. It's based on a story by Spencer Cohen, who also wrote the screenplay alongside Brad Kane. So, this is now your... Morning, 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 morning. Turn back now if you haven't seen this film, because I'm going to go into morning. every little bit of it, and yeah, there'll be... All sorts of spoilers. Yes, and we also have a, a bit of behind-the-scenes rumours and gossip from Ben Young himself that yes. I think we can probably pass on some little stories, I think, sorry, because he was a special presenter at the Space Brains Science Fiction Film Festival. He was. We'll, we'll cut out some of the swearing and some of the, <laughs> the strange innuendos he was making about me and my relationship with my computer, but, you know... Yeah, that was odd. That was strange, Very ben. personal, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we, and, we, and obviously we can't speak for him, so maybe he might come on the show in the future to, to let us know what he thinks about what we thought about Extinction. So Extinction is basically about a father that has a reoccurring dream of losing his family. These nightmares suddenly turn into reality when the planet is invaded by a force bent on destruction. Whilst fighting for their lives, he comes to realise an unknown strength to actually keep them safe from harm. Keep them safe? Maybe. What was your number one takeaway from Extinction? My number one takeaway is that uh, because it has been my lifelong dream to be a Terminator... Oh, yeah. I figure from this film I should probably just stab into myself and chop a big section (laughs) out of my chest and pull the skin back... And then I'll either be in a science fiction film or some sort of Clive Barker film. (laughs) Either way, no, I'm not going to be happy at all. No, you're not at all with that realisation. No, but what I I have realised is that there's a very interesting myriad ways of representing robots Mm. under skin. Mm. So we see the replicants in Blade Runner and... For them, I don't think we saw anything particularly different. No, we didn't. Nothing at all. In fact, they make the point in Blade Runner that the replicants have become so advanced, along with this their, their version 6 or whatever it is, mm. that they're very difficult to tell from humans. Mm. And in Terminator, he has a you know what, the biological tissue over a mechanical endoskeleton yeah. or something. Yeah. And, and that's like a, you know, a, a lovely mm, bits of steel struts that 
tweak and twerk and, and <laughs> do whatever. He's got special twerking mechanisms. <laughs> He's twerking, strutting, <laughs> yes. squeezing. Yeah, he, he can do the whole lot. Uh, and <laughs> then you've got, say, in Alien, where they, they've got this, just like they're full of milk. Yeah, they're great milk sacks. And, <laughs> and lots of wires and, and bubbling God, things. God and... knows what that's all about, but yeah. it, it's, it's very inventive. And in this one here, it sort of was this um, weird sort of plasma glowing... Mm semi-transparent plastic stuff. Again, something you'd probably get in an Apple store. Yeah, well, I mean... I got look like an Apple store on the inside. That's that's where I got my replacement rib cage from yeah, as well. Right. Well, yeah, that's yeah. where we all... All good rib cages come from, Apple. The eye rib cage, everyone yeah. knows it. Everyone loves it. The representation of robots in this one, yes, I thought was quite nice. Yeah, it avoided, awesome. you know, sparks and, you know, you get the red and the blue and the brown wires and stuff. Yep. And it, it basically said, hey, here's some sort of advanced technology that you can't even really figure out. Yeah. Like Terminator, you could sort of figure out. You could yeah. see it had, uh, you know, actuator thingos and, like, it looked like it was made out of Lego Technic or something. Yeah, or, I mean, it looked so... It's machine-like, isn't mm. it, you know, Terminator? Terminator is those nuts and bolts that we have in machinery. Yes, but yeah. but this this one here was going for um, a fair old advanced technology. Like, mm. don't even bother trying to figure that one out. Mm-hmm. It's just cool. Yeah. <laughs> so it's... Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Um, I liked, and I liked that it was just a little bit revealed. You know, unlike Terminator, where you have bits and chunks and you know things sprayed apart. I liked that this was just a pretty small reveal of the insides. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was nice. It's very subtle. But though, tell me, Mark, is this hope, warning, or experiment? I reckon this might cause a bit of debate, and be good oh, to know yes, what Ben so. thinks. Um, so, Ben, if you're listening, let us know if we're right or wrong. Um, I don't think it's hope at all. I reckon you could cr- crush that off the list. Yeah. Um, but experiment or warning, it oh, could be a 50-50, okay? So I'm open to clearly arguing about this, even though there's no one to argue to. Experiment. Okay, well, whichever you choose, I'll choose the opposite. Go. <laughs> um, I went experiment, all right? Because oh, basically I felt like it was a what if, okay? So the overall definition of experiment, that what if, Um and I thought the what if was based on, well, it, it is based on some clear, well, not rules, but problems in our current society, this film. So humans, we do have that inherent bias of other people mm. and cultures. And, you know, you could call that, that that bias does lead to very negative behaviour like racism and sexism and discrimination, etc. The list goes on. I think also that... We've seen in many other science fiction films, like Blade Runner, like Machine, uh, like Terminator, that humans have a complete disregard for the fact that they are AI. Like, we're not seeing face-to-face, you know, we're not seeing that we're on the same level as AI, like, we're above you. And that clearly creates a problem for AI when AI can think for itself. Yeah, when AI says, you created me, but that doesn't actually mean that you're above yeah. me. Yeah, so we, so quite often the humans are the debate in these films, and it's in this film again, but then it's been taken to that extreme. So that's why I thought it was experiment. So it's like it's, it's taking the human current sort of how we have discrimination and racism and stuff and then it, putting that out to the extreme level, you know, fast-forwarding. Yeah, and, and I, I think if you took this as a movie more from the human side during the initial uprising, yeah. I would have called it a warning. Yeah. So this is almost like the the 
backside of a warning. And we've mentioned this about a couple of films as being same but different. So this mm. is this is like the reverse of two films, two tropes, I suppose, or two storylines. One is uh, AI. So in this case, we're taking the, the side of the AI being invaded by humans. Yeah. And humans trying to overthrow us. Yes. Throw, overthrow them. No, I'm not AI. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet. I saw Chappie. Slowly. Uh, and, and the other side of this one then is the uh, artificial, so we've got alien invasion, and the other one is the um, AI revolution mm. type thing where, so Terminator yeah. would, and so forth. So you can imagine from the human's perspective 50 years prior to this film where AI becomes aware becomes sentient and goes, well, hold on, this is, you guys are actually treating us very poorly and you're not going to change. Mm. So get, you know, that's that would be a, a warning there about, you know, your creations turning against you. Yeah, and, and, and I guess further to that, sorry, like, yeah, you're, you, so when, you know, if you think what happens in this film, they decided to annihilate them, right, and it failed, that that's the humans, but then the way this story is structured, we come in at the time that it's, you know, the the AI are just living a life like we would as humans. And, and this and, would be Skynet after yeah. the Terminators. The Skynet <laughs> so, would go, okay, now I've done the whole Terminating. Yeah, now, 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 now I'll make should, the farmers. Yeah, the farmers and the... I bet yeah. you've got, you know, detailed crop growing <laughs> plants. Yeah. Affirmative. So, so the, I am a the, farmer. I, I think the film and, you know, when we do also get to the soldiers saying, you know, I thought you would be monsters and you're kids and adults and dads and cleaners and you know like you know the the soldier the human soldier has that debate and so whereas if it was a warning it's more like yeah skynet <laughs> it's more than destructive de- destroying yeah. us back and even the the ai in this like michael penner's character peter the the key sort of character um he it's not like as a, it's not like he just then turns around when he realizes he's ai and goes Right then, I am the Terminator. I can just destroy you. All right, he's 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 questioning. Yeah, well, why are we fighting? Like, why? You know, maybe he's thinking we should just can't we all just get along? You know, like mm. you know, like, it's not necessarily turning to that negative. So I sort of saw it as an experiment. Yeah. Okay. Did you have you seen this film before? No, this is the first viewing. First um, time. I've had the privilege of hearing Ben talk at our festival and also previously at Cinefest as part of that director's immersive I was in. Um, ben spoke at that pretty recently after the film had been released. So I kind of had uh, a very personal recount of the story from Ben's point of view, which was very interesting. So I guess I was going in watching this um, not with <laughs> not with um, open eyes of like not having any idea of really what the film was about. Um, so that might have constructed the version. We also got at the festival... You know, he played us a bit of a, a you know, a mocked-up version, a different version, a director's cut of the start mm. of the film. So, you know, and we saw the trailer as well at the festival. So um, I had some context of the story, you know, but I didn't, I didn't, I had not seen it before. How about yourself? Uh, this is the second time. So I watched it when it, recently when it came out. Yeah. So... All those, you know, oh, yeah, four years Coming ago now. Like, recent. Well, if if we just forget about COVID occurring, then <laughs> then it's actually really pretty recent. Mm. The 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 story came out, the movie came out. Sorry, and I watched it with my wife. Uh, yeah, we were we were entertained, and I liked the reveal mm. of AI. I thought it was like a a good sort of, you know, there's a lot of. 
a lot of possibility. There are a lot to unpack, I think. It's, it's a very interesting take on the alien invasion story because, of course, I went into it blind. I didn't yeah. know anything about it at yeah. all when I watched it. And so from my perspective, it was an alien invasion, mm. except I was still looking going, gee, they're remarkably human-looking, you know, yeah. they're very remarkably humanoid aliens, but they are, could just be a budgetary thing. Yeah, yeah, and, I mean, I've seen other horror and you know, yeah. alien films where they are kind of human-looking and yeah, stuff. Yeah, so, so. I, I had suspicions there about whether they were truly alien or if they were... Some you know some sort of you know time travel or something along those lines. I didn't. Yeah. It didn't occur to me that they'd be actual humans from Mars who'd been kicked off Earth, <laughs> which which is pretty cool. Yeah, and it is a cool thing. Like you do, it's one of those films that you start questioning, and it'd be interesting. Anyone out there listening, what did your impressions were like? What what did your brain start guessing? You know, like you just said, time travel. But and I was thinking, oh, is it gonna is it gonna be that when he takes off the soldier's mask? It's going to be him. Ooh, clones you know, like or it's something. Going to be, yeah, like, you know, they, oh, they overtook each other or um, or like maybe not time travel but parallel universes or oh, yeah. remember way back when we saw the beyond, you know, that sort of some sort of space travel that's caused a blip in everything and, yeah, so that's what my brain was starting to think more. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. So, so I, I watched that first time through. Um, I oohed and at the right moments. I felt a bit of tension on the train mm. escape at the end. Was that um, a bit of a favourite scene then? Or, my, or, or what was the scene that was the favourite one? My favourite scene... Uh, yeah, no, I th- I think it was the um, cat and mouse in the apartment. Mm. So okay. realising, uh, in particular, when the uh, invader, Miles, as it turns out, his name was, you know, Israel... Bruson or Brawson or something funny, yeah. whatever his name is. I, I don't know. Israel. His first name was Israel, and yeah, his yeah. second name starts with a B. He's and Miles in the movie. Yeah. He's Miles in the movie. Uh, yeah. So when he wakes up having been knocked out, and he sort of gets up and starts going, uh, I remember that was very cool because he he has his little fog out of yeah. his wrist, and I was going, "Oh, what's this?" Yeah. And it was actually like a holographic display. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was a good way of doing a holographic display mm. because. You sort of do need a medium to show the light up. You know, light doesn't just form holograms magically. It has mm. to reflect off something. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, providing their own little fogger to have their display is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and so that, that scene where he wakes up and you think, oh, well, you know, they've gotten away. What's going on? But he's tracking his gun because it's mm. a smart gun that yeah. won't shoot unless it's unlocked and, Again, and so on. And so I thought that was quite clever. I thought, oh, that's... That's smart, and that's the direction the military is heading as well. It, yeah. it wants to have – because it makes sense. If your guns can't be captured off you and used against you, yeah, yeah, for that's sure. helpful. I mean, just yeah. ask the Russians. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very annoying that when you go and lose your you know, uh, a military shipment of, of arms to yeah. supply your own troops, and now all of a sudden your farm, farmers that you're walking past have got military weapons. You know, that's <laughs> – Dreadful. It's not ideal. No. Not ideal. So being able to track it, I, I, I thought that was quite good. That that was a, an increase in tension because up to then, yeah, there was it was tense in the building. Then they got out, and you sort of, uh, I was sort of thinking, well, okay, so now they've got to the tunnels, now whatever. Yeah, but then yeah. he wakes up and tracks them and starts going. Then, yeah, I really liked that. It, it um, carried me along. Definitely. Did you have what about some of this? You know, I talk about the, the fogging tracker thing. Oh, mm. was some science fiction in there that was particularly attractive to you? 
Well, I think, like you said, the type of android was really interesting. I think that was cool sci-fi. Um, I also think that the way that the androids have wiped their memory is a really cool idea. That's mm. a, it, and it's, it's, also, it's also like, I guess maybe this isn't so much complete sci-fi, but it is the the psychology of science where if humans did attack and try to wipe out, you know, like a race, which is what we've done to each other. Why not? Hey? Right? Like, so we, we do it to the, which we find out, you know, in that sort of three quarters of the way through the film. Why would the androids not rise up? Why would they not protest? You know, I was just hearing earlier today, you know, a man that had escaped Nazi Germany, you know, once Hitler was, he, he heard Hitler speak and then he, you know, he, he real and he was only a really young man, like 18 at the time. And it's like he joined a underground movement and then was arrested by the Nazis. You know, he was trying to up, uprise against the Nazi ideal yeah. for Germany. And so then he ended up fleeing Germany, you know, and, and ended up in Australia as a refugee. But it's like um, the, the, why would the androids not rise up? So I know it's not quite sci-fi, but it's, it's a much more interesting take on that AI premise. And I thought that was interesting. And I also thought because we as humans uprise against the grain, like we protest, um, we protest over everything, don't we? Drop of uh, the hat. <laughs> drop of the hat. There's a there's a protest for something. But hat um, dropping. Yeah, that's for, for dropping your hat, you know. And then there's someone else that says, no, you should be able to drop your hat. So why would the androids who we have actually designed, they would do a protest. Like they just would. They naturally would. So... I liked that kind of psychology science. And I think, you know, you and I have been watching a lot of sci-fi for Space Brains. Um, You know, you can be like, yeah, the hologram. I liked the hologram too. I thought it was cool. And I thought it was a really great idea that it was a beacon. The biometrical way of using the gun was cool because that was like um, like District 9, the same Mm. thing. You know, the aliens could fire their weapons. The humans couldn't. Um, So just adding in that, that, that extra bit of, the AI, the AI kind of going, no, we're going to protest. Like, we want to protest against this. This is not right. And then the humans going, ah, stuff here. Yeah, well, see, that's why Skynet. Like, I like that. Yeah. Skynet just launched nuclear weapons because yeah. it, it it calculated ahead. It went, yeah. okay, yeah, okay, I'll protest. The humans will respond by that. Then I'll have to fight against them. Then they'll escape yeah. and they'll hide. And at some point they'll come back with some other stupid plan. Yeah. Okay, I'll just start mass manufacturing Terminators, I think. <laughs> I just, yeah. I'll just I'll cut straight to the chase yeah. and terminate humanity. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, the algorithm spat that out. This, this, this was much more of a, because we see it through those memories, um, maybe a little bit too quickly. I would have probably liked to see a bit more of that pre-story, you know, later in the film where Peter, you know, gets his memory back. It's... Um, like it would have been interesting because we we get enough of it, of course, to know what happened. But it would have been maybe a little bit more. There's a bit more substance that could have been developed there. I think maybe yeah. Well, um, or relationship just, would, with his wife, for I example. Just, yeah, like I just, I mean, it was it was enough. Like it was significantly enough as a story to follow it. But I wanted it probably a bit more there. I think like I would have liked more to know more about that. Let's know? demand a three-hour director's cut. <laughs> That's right. Go on, Ben. Do the three-hour version. Um, so, yeah, that was the sci-fi I liked. Uh, is this actually a sci-fi but Sorry. Is it a sci-fi? Because it is a retelling of, uh, you know, colonial 
situations to an extent, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's sort of a... Um, I mean, if you look at uh, some place like India that was occupied by the British for a very long time until yeah. the the local population kind of said, yeah, you're not actually benefiting us at all and <laughs> we're kind of providing you with all of the wealth and yeah. we're not seeing the benefit of it. And they they rose up and through a lot of difficulty and over a fair bit of time, but eventually they got their independence. Yeah. And so it's kind of a story of that, but it is sci-fi because it's taking that and then it's going back, oh, let, let's say the East India Company returned, mm. you know, <laughs> uh, you know re- returned, uh, except it wasn't the same people that got pushed out. It was like their grandchildren mm. who have turned up on stories of the monstrous Indians <laughs> and their terrible variety of breads, you know, <laughs> which, mm, yum. <laughs> That's all I think of is the bread. And, uh, you know, you couldn't really sort of tell that story in a sensible way. But here we have a story where we see the, um, the you know, the, the, let's call it the colonised, yeah. you know, removing the colonists and then the colonists returning. But it's told in a way that none of that makes 100% sense. There's not a 100% analogy because it is this science fiction element of it's not other humans. That these are natives to the world. Like these artificial intelligence are indigenous to the earth. Yeah. You know, we, they evolved here and grew here mm. along, but then they've also displaced other natives of this earth. Mm. Uh, and I, I'm assuming that it's the entire earth. Like yeah. this, again, there's one of these problems with movies where they sort of have a, a global scale. It's like, yeah, you see one city happening. Did, did that happen every? Like, did every city? Surely not every city has this exact yeah. same experience. But for the sake of story, you know, we'll just say yes, they did. Presume they did. Yeah. We presume they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it, you couldn't do that without the science fiction. If you took the science fiction elements out of this, basically what I'm saying is you'd kind of get this weird, scattered, nonsensical um, approach, you know, where, you know, why did they get pushed off and then come back again? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Because no, not at all. Because in any other history, that doesn't happen. You know, they either never get rid of their um, colonists, mm-hmm. you know, like, we're still here, <laughs> yeah. or they do and become wholly independent. And then, yeah. okay, now you're independent. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Time, time for your own civil wars. <laughs> we'll leave you in dis, disrepair. Yes, there you go. There you go. Um, now we're just economic. No, I'm going to go off to a tangent. Uh, so that um, what what sci-fi stuff have you been up to or or creative projects? Creative projects. So I've been doing uh, a lot of reading uh, of uh, business books, which I know it doesn't sound creative. It's not the business podcast. You haven't tuned in. It ties in (laughs) because I was reading various things about marketing. You know, I did a business degree with with marketing and so forth as well. And I was was rereading these topics and it was actually inspiring me again Mm. to get back to my books. Because I've I've got, uh, you know, I published three out at the moment. Yep. But I've got sort of like another four sitting at various stages of editing and so forth. Yep. And it, yeah, it it really inspired me to get back onto that and uh, draw together the common elements to form, you know, the what is my author brand in my voice in yep. my writing for example and to um experiment with with where i can go with that so yeah right it's a, it's a strange thing and i've got um 
you know, this one book I'm, I'm working on called Chaos Flux. That's a working title, so it yeah. probably won't be called that when it's released, mm. but I like it. <laughs> uh, it's oddly, it's alternate universe reality. Awesome. So it is a science fiction in, in that it, it, it talks about parallel universes and um, a new, you know, kind of a, uh, an explanation for dark matter, but not really. Mm. So, so if Netflix is listening, they yeah. might want to option it straight away before, before, it's, even before it's even published. Yeah, so I'm get in touch with Space pulling Brain. that together and I'm using some of our uh, yeah, techniques and what we talk about here and yeah, act structures sure. to restructure it because when I wrote the book, yeah. it, it sort of it got to a point, it, it ended early, right? but I hadn't finished telling the story. Okay. And so then I've gone back and looked at it going, well, hang on, because if you know, we talk about a three-act structure and I'm looking at it going, my second act is too short. Yeah. Like yeah. there's not enough exploration of the world that gets revealed by the catalyst basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just goes, charges to the, the ending too quickly. The act three becomes right. comes in too quick basically. Yep. Yep. So it ends about 20,000 words earlier than what it should do. You need to put your protagonist through the ringer a bit more. Yeah, there's a little bit more sort of um, the fun and games where they think they're doing well to find out actually they, they're just the tip of the iceberg yeah. they've touched. <laughs> yeah, but and, and yourself then. I mean, we've had a bit of a – I've felt a bit of a, a come down off the film festival. Yeah. And there's sort of a lull, but – For sure. And, I mean, I was just going to say first up, if you're following along, the, you know, we've got some great photos up on all our socials. I think we'll probably have more coming to the websites and stuff. So make sure you're following along. See if you can spot yourself, tag yourself. Um, uh, the videographer, David, uh, has put together a great video montage that we'll be releasing or premiering pretty soon. Mm. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Plus the recordings from the workshops and stuff. Uh, will also be coming. So stay tuned, jump on the socials, see if you can see yourself in an image, tag yourself, that kind of stuff. Um, check out all the materials. Uh, for myself, I th- yeah, it's been a bit of a recovery zone probably for the last couple of weeks since the festival. Um, and I'm just feeling now this week a bit of a clean slate, which is nice. So, I mean, I always had the pitch that in the second half of this year, I'd be making another short film. So I'm pretty sure I know what that will be. Um, And so it is about working towards that. But I've also just this week started to get, yeah, some, some fresh ideas, some fresh ideas. I know that's what happens. Like you kind of, for me as a writer, I kind of, if you're too busy, that creative uh, muscle or that creative voice in my head. Yes. I hear voices. Um, just kind of vanishes, you know, because yeah. you're too bogged down in the busyness of life, you know, and so, um, or you're not giving it space. And then it's really funny, the minute that I declutter and I kind of wipe the board, then I suddenly hear that voice again. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> like, that's sort of yeah. saying with, with my my business studies. Yeah, yeah. It's, I sort of started doing that uh, to advance my IT career. Yeah. Because um, that's what I do when I'm not space braining yeah. uh, and various other things. But in so doing, I couldn't help but instead of I, – I couldn't put the – because to get into these business books, uh, I put aside oh, every, all the creative stuff. All of that. I, yeah, yeah. I've put that, that book I was telling you about. I put that to the side and I thought, yeah. okay, I'm going to do this because I'm going to – the next couple of months I've got to work on this career because I've got goals for this yeah. time next year and so on. Yeah. 
but I couldn't think about my career. When I was reading it, every time I was reading about, you know, this part of capturing value and this, you know, doing, <laughs> you know, your target audience and yeah. leveraging all that, I was thinking of, like you said, creative ideas about yeah. my book and about my works and about space brains. And yeah, yeah so I totally agree that, yeah, yeah you, you, you get rid of all of the stuff you, you think you're doing mm. and all of a sudden you start hearing yeah. your calling. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's a good, I mean, I've been doing and my wife's done it too, The Artist's Way with by Julia Cameron and really great sort of self-discovery for artist book. You know, it's like a 12-step um, book and that goes through. It's a very hands-on workbook. It's not a, it's not a novel. It's a, it's a, um, like a school textbook really, but mm. much more better if you're an artist and you're looking for sort of some driving force and some recovery from maybe things that have happened to you. Uh, it's a really great book. And that, I mean, it's a reminder that, yeah, sometimes we do get a bit too busy and stuff and just to kind of bring yourself back. And I mean, we're not self-help gurus here, but doing things like exercising and walking a dog and, you know, going for a swim and riding your bike, like even just stuff like that can bring out the creative energy yeah. in a new way, you know, like it just clears your brain, you know? And so, I think in life all humans get a bit too busy and so you can't forget to like exercise the human body, you know, because it just does make a difference to um, a lot of things. But definitely in terms of creativity, I think it gets that blood pumping in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, the, and I mean, a goal for me is to um, write a very low budget feature film script. So I've written three feature scripts in the past, ones that I haven't really worried about budgets. Just, hey, this is a great idea. I want to prove to myself I can write a whole feature script. Yeah. And I've gone through that process and I had a bit of success. Haven't sold any, haven't optioned any, but I've had a bit of success from them um, and some good feedback. But it would be great to... Um, now I'm thinking, hey, why don't I write one that is possibly... Uh, sorry, is able is able for me to... If I can talk properly, suddenly I might be having a stroke, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Smell bread. Uh, no. I know, it's like got, my sentence is going backwards. But yeah, to be able to write something that is just easily made. Easily so made. Like a, a really low budget film. So whether that then I do actually make that or not, I don't know. But that's just as a bit of an intention. Yeah, there's, yeah. yeah you just remind me there's a Jake Gyllenhaal film. Uh, what is that called? I can't remember what that one's called. Something rather. Anyway, it's, it was on Netflix and my wife and I watched it because ever since seeing Donnie Darko, my wife's yeah. had a thing for you know, Jake. I've got a thing for Jake, I he's, think. He's nice. <laughs> I don't know about him personally. He's, he's, he's probably as, you know, interesting and quirky and yeah. uh, what have you as any other human being. But uh, we watched this film and speaking of low budget, it was filmed in, you know, COVID lockdown. Right. So uh, it's... A call centre guy, like a nine one one emergency oh, yeah, call I've operator. Seen, I've seen this on the sort of posters. And so there's yeah. that's what he is, and he talks to these voices. There's two, you know, he gets involved in a sort of a, a, a situation basically, right. where he's talking to a woman and her husband, and there's like you know a child has been in dispute, and you know it's basically that's what it is. It's mm. him in this call centre uh, talking there, and there's like one guy next to him, and then. Uh, he ends up getting pissed off that this guy keeps getting in his way because Jake's character has problems. He gets up and goes into a, a room by himself. And so for a good, uh, you know, three quarters of the film or two thirds of the film, it's basically him in a room by himself talking on the phone yeah. <laughs> with occasionally, you know, someone 
you know, applying pressure saying, you know, like, you know, he's getting in trouble at work type thing. So there's someone knocking on the windows telling him he's got to do whatever. But yeah. you, you don't notice it's quite well put together because you watch this for an hour and a half mm. and then you realise that's just basically one guy in a room talking on a telephone yeah, yeah, yeah. with a couple of voice actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like a little bit of um, live action, you know, outdoors yeah. at the very end to sort of finish off Act 3. Mm. But, yeah, so that... Yeah, and I mean, like... It's a great pop- low budget, that one. Like- so that, that, yeah, that's exactly right. And I've seen another one where, you know, someone's stuck in a coffin. You know what I mean? Mm. That kind of idea. So the whole film is just one character in a coffin. I, I'm not saying necessarily do that idea, but I'm just... Um, you know, even the Cosmos guys, you know, most of that film was inside that car, yeah. which we know afterwards is shot in uh, one of the director's parents' garage that they set up over 40 nights, you know, so really trying to um, control what you're doing mm. in your budget like three guys in a room. <laughs> even Saw, you know, I mean, and it's not sci-fi, but even Saw, you know, that whole idea of like predominantly 90% of Saw is two guys in a, what would you call it, a basement. Yeah. And that's all it is. Like, you know, so it is low budget all the way. So so that's what I mean. As a bit of a, uh, and I've heard a lot of writing teachers talk about this idea of like restricting your writing. So rather than sort of going, yeah, there's spaceships and we're flying around the moon and, you know, yeah. we're, we're out in space and uh, aliens are blowing up, you know, the New York City skyline. It's actually, it's not necessarily even, I've heard writing teachers talk about budget. It's more just restrict your writing. So what can actually, what drama can you get yeah. out? Like you just said, Put Jake in a room. What, well, what, how can he be in drama? What would you do? Oh, he's on the phone. Okay, he's on the phone. But are people going to really watch him on the phone for an hour and a half? Well, probably because it's Jake Gyllenhaal. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's like you're still going to have some sort of drama that otherwise people will probably give up on it, you know. And mm. so how do you visually do that yeah. drama for an hour and a half? You know, so. in the, at the film festival when Ben Young was talking, he was saying that when it comes to, say, the science and technology in a science fiction film, mm. The yeah, that's all really cool and and it allows for story. But the 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 film, if it's and this is sort of almost a quote from him, I'm paraphrasing. If it's based around a set or a location or a really cool action yeah, scene, I loved, I loved that's this. not enough. Yeah, you've got to have this human drama, this this touch point mm. that people will will relate to. Yeah, and will feel that struggle. Yes, and then you can say, well. How, how does that come about? And that can be your science fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that quote from him. I, lo- I love that idea of, you know, there needs to be substance, you know. And I think most of us, we realise that. Like the a film doesn't actually necessarily have to have the $300 million Marvel budget um, to be a good film. You know, plenty of films are low budget and they're great films. So we could go, I could go on about that all night, but I won't because <laughs> we do want to get into some details about extinction. So here we're going to jump into some um, parts of the film uh, like symbolism and narrative and camera and lighting and the actual uh, key stages of the film. So we've mentioned Ben Young is the director. He's a West Australian filmmaker, but he's been out there on the international film scene now, uh, three of his Feature films are kind of... Oh, no, the third one's about to come out, isn't it, with Billy Bob Thornton, Billy Bob. Actually, he was working on it that morning at the film festival. Yeah, there we go. And then he had to <laughs> jump in the car and get Comes screwed to... away to, to finish off yep. some stuff. So we'll, we'll look forward to that one. It's we not do. a science fiction. Not sci-fi, but yeah. But, but it'll fine. be good. Yeah. 
Um, so, and I mentioned before, Spencer Cohen uh, came up with the story here and also wrote the screenplay with Brad Kane. Uh, Michael Penner, who you would recognise, been in a whole bunch of movies. I think he's in the latest. Ant- he's been in the whole Ant Man film. So if you're a big Marvel person, yeah, he's uh, in the Dusk Till Dawn TV yeah, series. Yeah, goes back to those ones. Um, he's, he's been in a lot of stuff. I've seen him all over the place. Yeah, and I was just trying to think. There was another sci-fi film that we saw him in as well, and I've just blanked on it. Sorry. So if you know what that film is, double bonus brownie points. Let me know afterwards. Um, Lizzie Kaplan is his wife, Alice. Uh, Mike Coulter is David, his boss. Amelia Crouch is Hannah, um, Alice and Peter's daughter. Er um, Erica Trembley as Lucy, Alice and Peter's other daughter. Israel Broussard. Broussard, there he is. Miles Miles. is the human soldier. Lex Shrapnel as Ray, uh, Samantha's husband. Emma Booth, Australian actor. Great, uh, really great Aussie actor, actually has done a lot of stuff with Ben. So they're they're kind of... I think he likes to have her in all of his stuff wherever he can. Why not? (laughs) Why not? She's a great actor. Um, And you recognise she's in that um, ABC TV show, which I think is on Netflix, called Glitch, which is a sci-fi show. It's a great one. Uh, And Lily Aspel plays Megan, Ray and Samantha's daughter. This was interestingly filmed in Serbia and big film studios there. Um... I don't actually know what the budget is, but my presumption is probably about 15 mil. Yeah. Uh, but Ben could totally I thought it would be 15 or 20. It's that yeah, sort of... sort of somewhere around that size, range. Yeah. Uh, probably also if you look at the kind of the actors, as we know with Passengers, you spend $42 million on the two lead actors in that film. So, yeah, it, uh, this one, you know, the actor's probably not getting paid those kind of Chris Pratt sort of salaries. Um, and... Box office, it did actually make it on IMDb. It does say it's about a mil and a half in pure box office, which is interesting because Ben told us that it was totally planned for a normal cinema release and at the last minute Universal just sold it to Netflix. So, which we know now is not that unusual. We know I Am Mother, you know, for example, um, another West Australian filmmaker, Grant Spatore, um, but I think in that regard, the producers were really happy to sell it to Netflix. They, they just sold it back for the budget, so everyone was kind of pretty happy. Um, this one from Ben sounded like it kind of maybe just sort of happened really quickly, um, but Netflix yeah. jumped on it and uh, got it out there. If you kind of do a bit of a Google, you'll see that Netflix did a big promotion of Extinction in 2018 when it came out. They were talking about it's like their best science fiction film at the time. It was... a uh, Netflix exclusive film and I think that's when they were really trying to you know they were really trying to move into that zone of going beyond just smaller budget uh, films like Netflix and mm. really jump the you know these ready made probably films that were going to do all right at the cinemas maybe not be huge mega blockbusters but probably do a substantial box office and they just kind of grabbed them and paid them outright you know yeah so we do like to break the narrative down. We do indeed, sir. How do we do that, sorry? We break it down into three acts. Ooh, three. Three acts. It's, uh, yes, yeah, some people talk about five acts. Some talk no, about like a seven-step cycle what? or something. But it all <laughs> still comes down to basically three, a beginning, a middle, yeah. and an end. Yes. And we break it down into some of the primary beats or the important plot points that drive the narrative. Yep. Uh, you'll get that from such script teachers mm. and storytellers as Campbell Schneider, 
McKee and Feel. I nearly said McPhee. It would be really good. You could have four astronauts, couldn't you? And that would be their names. Yeah, Campbell, Schneider, McKee and Field. There you go. So and so now I'm not entirely sure what their first names are. Actually, they would be astronauts back in the 1960s, but like it wouldn't work these days. Yeah. You'd have to have much more international flavour of names. Yeah, well, well, Schneider... That's Schneider, isn't Schneider. it? That's Germany. That's from the... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so they, they talk about these three acts and it's broken into the various beats. We have a beginning, a middle and end, mm-hmm. and beginning is Act 1. Mark, what? how about you tell us what Act 1 is? Well, Act 1 is the introduction to the whole film. The idea is to really hook an audience in and go, ooh, this seems like an interesting story. These are interesting people. I want to know more. Um... Aaron Sorkin, who's an Academy Award-winning screenplay writer, has said, you know, for movies you do have the luxury of about 10 to 15 minutes to really get people, whereas TV you've got about 30 seconds. So for him, he's very much saying that, you know, if you go out for the night, you take your beautiful wife to the movies, you buy popcorn... Maybe if the movie is really terrible, at about 12 to 15 minutes, you might walk out. So that's what a film has. Like, it has the luxury of that first kind of 10 to 15 minutes. What happens in that beginning is, hey, here's our main character. This is what he does. This is his problems. You know, this is his life. And it's setting us up, and that adds literally like a setup to the story, to then hit a moment where the world the world of the character turns upside down. Mm. And it needs to be what they can call an inciting incident or a catalyst, and it needs to be massive. You know, it's it's someone that's worked in their job for 30 years and they walk in and the company's closing down and they don't know now what to do with their life. It's, it's realising that aliens are invading. It's realising that your wife is cheating on you. You know, like, it's got to be in a moment in time. It can't just be them tripping over a, a step you know, and stubbing their toe. Or, yeah, missing the train doors closed just before they get there. On the London Tube when there's another train two minutes later. You know, like, it's not... It's got to be significant. It's got to be world-changing. And quite often then they need to... and, And this is where, really, story should be about the character driving the story. So things can happen to the character, but it's what the character chooses to do. And that's what's really important is, even if aliens are going to land, think about it, what would you do? And that's the question for the protagonist. So aliens are going to land. What would you do? Uh, sorry? I would break into two okay, pieces. There you go. No, right. Act so, two. Yeah. <laughs> I would choose that one because otherwise the story ends. That's right. But the, but the answer I was going for was actually like, you know, you might bundle up your family into your car and flee to the hills. Or you might go, no, let's pray to our God. Or you might go, you know what, stuff it. Let's party to the end of the world and drink and eat anything that I've never had before, you know? So that's the character that's what a character gets to decide. It shouldn't be the aliens that get to decide, it's the character. And that's where we in this first act have those decisions to be made. If they make a decision to break into two, I don't know what the hell that means. Correct. That uh, takes us into <laughs> two. Break into two, two, act two. Act two. Break into act two, it is. I know, but I was thinking your answer is break into two, like are you a babushka doll oh, or something? It's like... mitosis. <laughs> you know, I'm a single-cell creature. I'm the largest <laughs> okay. single-cell amoeba you're going to come across. There we go. Yeah, story, uh, act 
two is the fun and games. Well, it starts, it's in two parts. Fun and games. So this is where we've had the, the exciting moment that has upended the world. And now we're going to find all of the things that you would expect to have happen at this. Yeah. The aliens have invaded, and so you're going to have uh, alien encounters, running and hiding, fighting, maybe examination, maybe communication, and... Conferences with them, might or something. Be cool weapons. There it might, might be cool explosions. weapons, explosions, There's because this is when all of that's going to happen. Yeah. And I know Mark often says that this is where a lot of the trailer comes mm. from. Yeah. And that's true because if you show bits of this, you're not really giving away the twists. Like if no. you grab an M Night Shyamalan film and you show a bit of Act Two, you've not given away his secret. Mm. That is, is hiding there. Uh, and this fun in games. Sometimes it's not that fun in horror movies, for example. No. But it it leads up to a midpoint which is a uh, pretty much in the middle of the film yep. that's what's called a midpoint by the way it is usually like a tipping point where the story's trajectory changes so if everything is all fun and games leading up to that point something serious consequence happens usually from the fun and games yeah or or you know something of the catalyst has realized now that all the stuff you're doing uh, it's not that as good as you think it might be. Yeah. You get this downward trajectory often. I mean, sometimes it's the reverse in that everything's really crap. Uh, if you watch uh, one of these old spaghetti westerns yeah. or, or Clint Eastwood um, spaghetti westerns, they're very commonly that way. That The character is dragged through the dirt. They're beaten. They're, you know, they have the, the crap kicked out of them. Mm. It's the worst time of their life all the way up to the midpoint where something goes toing. And then they start getting their revenge. Yeah, that's right. And then from that point there, it's sweet, sweet revenge. Yeah. But most films, it's the other way around. Mm. Uh, it goes downhill. Uh, they find consequences for what they did in the first part, catching up to them. They find that they didn't know everything they thought they did. Uh, they find that their uh, hubris and, and arrogance is getting the better of them. And we get things like the... Uh, uh, the bad guys closing in, Dark Knight of the Soul, where you've hit rock bottom. And you have to do that because then you need this inspiration. Often it's called the, the whiff of death, uh, which could be a literal death. And mm. there's plenty of films and stories where there is actually uh, someone dies yep. and that then inspires the, the mm. character to take that extra step. But it may not yeah. be... That death. It, sometimes it's the death of a dream. So they they wanted to be uh, a world class gold medal winning athlete. They've tested positive for doping. Yeah. They cannot be a world class gold medal athlete because they're going to be banned. Yeah. So, you know, what are they going to do? And this is why we have a third act because if you stop there, it's unresolved. Yeah. You go well. Well, so what? What? Yeah. How are you going to deal with this? Mm. And they'll make that decision. Yeah. And they'll they'll go. You know what? I won't be a world class athlete, but I will coach mm. the next one. Yes, who will become a boxer extraordinary and, and defeat a um, robot <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, for sure. And that leads us to Act Three. It does, and Act Three is rounding off the story, the climax, the finale, the showdown, the. Absolute, all the dynamite in the world has been bundled into a cave and set alight, you know. So this is where everything that the journey has been about for that character, all those decisions have to come to an end. If there has been any, you know, any B stories or C stories or any problems going on, this is where it all needs to come out and 
reveal itself. You know, films that do have a twist, which Extinction does have a bit of a twist to it, you know, the third act, it has to be revealed by then, otherwise it's too late. The M9 Shyamalan films. Shyamalan, a ding dang. <laughs> they, they always have a twist somewhere in that third act. Like, he doesn't just leave them out. You know, there's no point to that. So, And quite often, actually, his films are really good examples of what happens here is that the main characters come up with the plan, you know, they come up with that final idea, and then during this third act, it's revealed that, Oh no! Hang on. There's there's a secret. There's a twist. The the dynamite that you thought was going to blow up aliens doesn't actually work on them. You know, so the whole journey was feels like it's a waste of time, and they've got to think and reflect, and maybe in a real last ditch effort, realize that oh, it's not dynamite. It's cat food, and they can throw cat food at the aliens, and that's what kills them. So. Like, there's got to be some sort of, you know, ultimate test for the main character. And quite often that's done up high. There's a little writing tip for you. So skyscrapers, tops of mountains, you know, ledges of cliffs, you know, um, that Spider-Man movie, it's on top of a plane, you know, like it's got to be up somewhere high, you know. Yeah. And so why? Because just, that's just sort of elevates the danger. And anyway, hopefully the protagonist wins. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that they survive, uh, but they do actually have overcome what the whole catalyst journey was about. And then that kind of ends with a, a nice happily ever after, you know, in the fairy tales. And again, it might not be a happily ever after, but it's a resolution of the story. Yeah. And where to from here? Where and so, to? Uh, that ends on that final image, which quite often can connect back right to the start. So that's our narrative structure we like to focus on. We've sort of taken some chunky bits from all sorts of people and like to apply it. You'll find that most narrative films follow that pretty well um, and maybe just deviate in some very interesting ways to keep an audience intrigued in what is about to happen next. So it, it's a recipe for the structure of the narrative. It doesn't have to be the recipe for the actual film. No. And, yeah. and we've seen that in a number of the films we've, we've covered. Heaps, that yeah. They've done, uh, you know, they've played with chronology yeah. and, and they've played, they've stretched, you know, segments out over uh, uh, over multiple minutes of periods. You know, like some catalysts are three-second bingo bongos and some are actually kind of drawn as a couple of events over the course of about five minutes. They are. Okay, so let's get stuck into Extinction. One thing I'll say over all with Extinction is really crisply, cleanly shot. Um, we have a lot of uh, really stationary moving shots, so not jerky point of view stuff, like really smooth as butter. <laughs> smooth as cutting butter. Smooth. Smooth, smooth as a butter's bottom <laughs> something like that. yeah something i don't know smooth as rubbing butter all over your bo- bottom something like that whatever with a baby with there's a baby in there somewhere yes. in there anyway don't throw a baby out with your bath bottom okay all right i think we'll leave that one there yes. uh, but anyway it's very smooth it's very clean um cutting and in fact the whole thing is we are showing a world that is very clean and sophisticated and that you know that version of an apple store but in a whole city um, but the shots are really nice, really cleanly cut. The other thing that um, whether Ben did it or the ed- editor chose to do this, um, there's, a, there's some real slowdown, like slow motion stuff happening in the opening sequ- sequences. Um, but we basically have this man, Michael Penner, Peter, 
going about his day. There's a bit of voiceover about him telling, you know, you do this in your life, your wife, your children, you know, and he's kind of said, we get these lovely little shots of his family and the city and, but he's not looking too happy. You know, you sort of get in the sense straight away that he's not too happy. And uh, very quickly, we then get this kind of night, nighttime scene of flash of from the sky and then suddenly that flash opens up and all these people see it and they're just sort of laser shot down, aren't they? Gun, yeah, gunned down a bit. Gunned down really quickly and they're screaming and crying and, and he wakes up. And this is something that we learn in the setup in the first sort of 10 minutes that he has these, because this happens again to and him at work. Like, and that's the opening he, image there, the isn't it? That's the opening image, yeah. Is that we're, we're given a very quick introduction to the fact that he's uh, got a... Uh, his his life is quite small and yep. contained, but then he's got these terrible nightmares that are breaking it up. Yeah, and, and it's breaking up his life as well. Obviously, as the audience, we're like, "Oh, okay." So he knows something about an alien invasion. Did it happen in the past? Is it going to happen? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, so it's a good questioning of of the world. Um, no one believes him. So this is all part of the setup as well. No one really believes him. It's and- part of those, like, give your character problems. Yeah. And one yeah. of them is he's, he's got a, a family that's kind of a bit sick of his shit. Yeah. They're sick of these delusions. Yeah. They kind of call him. He needs a bit of help. Um, he arranges to take the kids to the pier, have family time. In the family and day. And, of course, then when he's at work, he kind of snoozes and has another nightmare. Snoozes. And- <laughs> a little snooze on the job. I, I was a, he has stuff. a fit and a blackout. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, come on. And um, and when he does that, he's missed the family time. So it's the strained relationship. Hey, I tell you what, though, this opening image, uh, having watched this now the second time around mm-hmm. and keeping my eyes out, because, yeah, Ben was mentioning a couple of extra features he wanted to chuck in there but yeah. didn't. But I still noticed that when he comes out and talks to his uh, youngest daughter, Lucy, and she's got, first of all, she's got that little bear that says, monkey see, monkey yeah. do, yeah. which is kind of a, an allusion to the whole AI mimicking human, yeah, humans. Yeah. Yeah, but also, there's no breakfast food. Yeah, right. Like, it, like it's a breakfast scene that he comes down ready to go off to, uh, to work. And the usual cliche, I suppose, in particularly in American films, is the come down, the... the Arms are full of, you know, the, the jacket and the briefcase. Yeah. And so the, the wife, say, pops a bit of toast in his mouth yeah, and he goes, yeah. oh, and he puts the briefcase <laughs> down and bites one bite of toast, puts that down, yeah. picks up his coffee and has a slurp. And, oh, I've got to go. I'll see you. And off yeah. he rushes. No, she was, uh, his wife is folding laundry. Yeah. And his daughter is just sitting happily under a table playing. Yes. And you don't really notice it the first time you watch it. Yeah, I didn't notice it. But watching it now, I'm like, there's there's no cups and plates. No one has had breakfast. Mm. There's no crockery out, nothing. I wonder in the later, now that you're saying that, because again, my first viewing, so I'm not maybe picking up on that. So when they have that party scene, is there food? No. Uh, this, is, this is another thing, because so I was little... paying attention, because... Because one of the features Ben said he didn't get to put in there that he wanted to was have uh, in the kitchen put, uh, cooking pots and, uh, you know, little teacups and things being used as pot plants mm. uh, holders, which humans do. We, we do that too yeah. as well. Like, you know, my mother-in-law has got, you know, boots and wheelbarrows yeah. and all manner of containers as yeah. pot plants. Yeah. So you kind of, on your first watching it, you're going to go, okay, they're, they're, they're being just, a little bit ec- yeah. eclectic. Yeah. But on second watching, you realise that, yeah, this house they've taken over, this apartment they've taken over, uh, they've, they've got these things in it that they 
don't use. Yes. But it's, yeah, it's cunning that party they have right. later on. Yeah, I didn't realize No that. one's holding a drink. Yep. There, there's people playing games. It's almost like uh, a utopian view of a party. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, no one's just getting drunk or no. using food as a cover or anything like that. Yeah. They're genuinely enjoying each other's company. Which <laughs> Who is does that without alcohol and horrif- food? And- horrifying. <laughs> um, so the other thing, did you notice that then, so he's, a, he's some sort of, I don't know, electrical engineer. Technician or of some sort, yeah. Yeah, some sort of technician. He works in this factory. Um, but did you notice that when he does kind of daze off a bit that then um, and the boss comes over, like he says that the current has been split and that's caused a malfunction, right? And then he's a, it was just an accident and he, he sort of starts fixing it up. That's the exact same sort of terminology that then Miles uses to repair his wife. Oh, like yeah. we have to split the current, uh, and like your you will be the, the the energy source, and we'll split the current. I don't know exact words, mm. but when he when Miles said that later in the film, I'm like, ah, oh, that's, that's that foreground yeah. that quite often happens. So I think you're right. Like the monkey see, monkey do. You know, that's kind of a bit of a nod to the AIs are copying the humans. This is what humans did, right? Happy families. Um, but I think also that current is a bit of foregrounding, which is more sort of like, oh, the fact that there's been a current split here is something that's going to happen later. It's a little mm. sort of treasure for you. So I, I noticed that. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. And he, and he just works at the factory. Yeah. <laughs> don't know what they're making. No. We don't see anything getting constructed. So the catalyst is an interesting one here. I am so he's, he's got the strain relationship. He's missing time. He's blanking out, like you said. He's a, he's not just having a snooze on the job. He's, yeah. he's actually having like a blackout, basically. To me, the catalyst, sorry, is that he goes. So he, he reluctantly decides to go to this clinic to see a psychologist. And while he's waiting, this other guy, other patient, explains to him that he's having these visions. And they're trying to hide it, like a mm. bit of a conspiracy. He's, he's a bit more nutty than our Peter. Yeah. And he, but he explains the way he says it is it's a very similar vision and we know it, right? Like he sort of says the same vision. Yeah. And then the nurse comes down or the doctor comes down to take him away and he goes away like quietly, oh, don't, 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 don't tell anyone. And so Peter then decides that, that you know, this isn't right for me. Like, I, I, you know, like if he's seeing the same thing I'm seeing, I don't think I'm crazy. Like there's something to this. So he leaves the psych. So that's the catalyst to me because um, he's, he's then realized it's the first time that he's had affirmation that something is different with these visions. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was going to say for me, maybe uh, just a little bit earlier, the lights in the sky, which, uh, and he buys a telescope. Yeah. And then he goes, ah, oh, I will. Yeah. I'm going to go see a guy at the clinic. Okay. Cause he was thinking about going to the clinic and I was going to put in that clinic side in the debate there is, is he going to go ahead with this? Is he, you know, not going to do it? And he goes to the clinic and he, and he hears that guy and that's where he makes a decision to go and act two, in fact, mm. where he goes, no, I'm not, maybe I'm not crazy. This is, yeah. in, this is something that's important that, that's going to protect us. Yeah. Okay. So okay. That, was, that was my thoughts. Yep. But um, I can't remember when I was watching this the first time because the the problem is having already seen this yeah, film, you know, I'm go- I'm looking at it with a different yeah, angle because uh, often when you first watch a film, when I, when I'm watching a film the first time and for Space Brands in particular, I, my I know my wife by doing it for every film we watch and I have to just be quiet. <laughs> That's the catalyst. Yeah, it's like <laughs> I look out, I look for that moment. Where I get a little ah, yeah, you know, you, you go ah, oh, that's what this is going to be about. 
which is the problem I had with Batman versus Superman because I was an hour and a half in and, and we're still wondering what this film was going to be still about. Still waiting for a catalyst. I, I think I had to have been seen the earlier Superman film right. and also be in the whole DC universe understanding. Yes. But in yeah, in this film here, the second time watching it, I was waiting to see what part of the catalyst it would be the catalyst. Mm. And I thought just after he had the blackout and he goes out and he sees the lights and he's like, did anyone else see that? Did anyone else mm. see that? And no one's sort of paying much attention to him. I kind of felt, and I said it could be, you know, hindsight being a benefit. I thought, oh, that would, that's where you're going, oh, okay, his dreams are real. Mm. But maybe she'll just wondering until that guy talks. So maybe uh, anyone else out there who's watched this for the yeah, first time, what was that moment? Was it seeing the lights where you went, oh, it's actually going to be about an invasion? Yeah. Or was it the moment where the guy at the clinic said, you know, gave him enough information to say that, this is probably not just. There's something bigger here. Well, so so my argument is that he, again, this is the thing. Like the catalyst is he's decided to go to the psych, and he's having these visions. Everyone, like his wife and the boss, etc. Because even in that scene, the boss, the boss is like, "Will you see this person?" You yeah. Know? And his wife's like, literally, you know, go. I've had enough of the bullshit. And his kids are, you know, deserting him. Really, like not wanting to be with him. Oh, yeah, that's the other so, one. So to me, the catalyst is, the, or the inside incident is the fact that, oh, okay, I'll go see this psych, you know, I'm going to try to do it to heal and help my family, which I think would be pretty normal. Like, you know, that, that would be a decision. So then yeah. the fact that he decides not to once he gets this affirmation, and I think, again, as the audience, you know, it's always interesting in the audience journey because we are, we should always be ride, having the ride with the protagonist. Like yeah. we're seeing it through the protagonist. You know, we're not seeing it through his wife's point of view. We're not seeing it through the kid's point of view. We can empathize with them having the crazy dad. But we know as the audience, like, oh, is there aliens? And oh, is he crazy? You know what I mean? And so then him not going to see the psych, it then opens up that debate of, oh, did I do the right thing or did I not do the mm. right thing? Like, oh, you know, the wife's going to be, because you and I are married, wife's going to be angry now. You know, is the boss not going to trust me? The kids, how can I convince, how can I, and then how can I actually convince other people that, oh, this other guy's also seen it, like there's got to be more to it, you know? Yeah. So to me, that's that's where it was. And, you know, if you look at the scenes after that as well, you know, the, it is the party um, and the party's like, you know, the other, the neighbour comes up, look, my wife told me to come over and talk to you, you know? Like, so there's the, there's there's more debate at the party, you know, that is... Was that the right decision? You know, because he is very distant at the party, isn't he? He's very yeah, vacant. He's, he's not really present. He's saying that keeps checking out his uh, telescope, which yeah. which he got in trouble for buying. Yeah, I yeah. did love that the telescope came from an antique store. An antique store, but nice it, little nod, wasn't it, it looks like a real one. Uh, the, the other thing, when you mentioned his daughters, I remember that Hannah is her game seems to be being the elevator operator. Yeah, and she. Acts like, you know, she's just like the computer voice in yeah. an elevator. Yeah. And I, you know, again, watching that back going, oh, was, yeah, that's, that's actually quite funny that yeah. that she's, you know, you know, what floor? Ding. Yeah. And then he tries to talk to her and says, you, you know, you can't talk to the elevator while it's operating. <laughs> you know? yeah. So which, which, of course, it, it just seems like it's done as a way of saying that she's pissed off at him, yeah. like kind of distancing herself. But knowing that she's, in fact, a, a robot, makes you think, oh, that's kind of funny that she's being the AI for the elevator. Now, there's a, it is definitely, it's a nice little nod, and that, that's 
that's really clever of Ben and, and Co to what that means is you're getting a different enjoyment the second viewing and mm. that's really good. You know, that you're there's more to it than just one viewing, yeah. which is always what you want for a feature. There's also something here that it, it repeats, a motive, but in the camera. So with Peter and his kind of visions, we get a moment where the camera does a bit of a, you know, I think it's um, an aerial, what maybe what you'd call an aerial... It's not a pan, it's not a tilt, it's the camera sort of rotates and it's a bit disorientating. Mm. And why it's a motive is that Ben has decided to put in the film about three times. Like I noticed it three times. And it happens, he he uses it each time um, in scenes where there is a bit of doubt in the mental capacity or the thinking of Peter. So again, here as an audience, we don't know if he's crazy or Mm. if the alien invasion is real. So, so that you've got to kind of give that visual impression of craziness in a way, yeah. you know. So, again, go back. You want to see a film um, where it's all about the mind, Christopher Nolan's memento and memory. You know, he he cleverly distorts the audience in that film. So, go check that one out. That's a real mind and bender. It's a it's a technique that's used in a number of other films. Not that exactly, but the the idea of having a a normal view on a f- scene. Yeah. Tilt slightly, yeah, or rotate, right. or, or yeah. the camera sort of sc- uh, corkscrews. Yes, yeah. And those of you who are watching Stranger Things, mm. they have literally done that with the upside down. Like yeah, the whole right. yeah. thing is called the upside down, and when there's something going to be changing, the camera tends to rotate, rotate and corkscrew around. Yeah. But a lot of films do that where, yeah. if you're looking at a scene and the camera goes onto a tilt, it's a hint to say. The that world's a bit tilted. Think about something a little bit alternate here. Yeah, maybe yeah. a person's um, not thinking straight or yeah. maybe things that are happening aren't quite as real as what you think they yeah. are. There's the bleak angle, so just literally a stationary angle on the side. Um, so Nolan, again, used that in The Dark Knight for the Joker. Like every single shot of the Joker is slightly tilted. Mm. So he's never straight, you know, whereas Batman is straight. Yeah. Um, and then it's extreme. So you call that an oblique angle, but then, um, which is Russians, come, came from Russian cinema. But, um, yeah, he just likes to tilt it. But this is more of a motion of it, mm. like you're saying, the same as the Stranger Things thing. So, yeah, notice that. I noticed that a couple of times throughout the film. I'll, I'll pick up on that. So what do you think was then the break into two? He's had this debate. What do you think the break into actual two is? Oh, well, I mean, the, the break into two, that's got to be the lights in the sky because yeah. he's, he's talking uh, with his neighbour and he's like, yeah, I guess, you know, but I've, I really kind of maybe think this is something important mm. or not. And then flash, flash, and he goes, oh, are you seeing that? Mm. And the and, says, and, yeah. and there's a pause because yeah. as the audience, you're like, going, yeah, is he seeing yeah. this yeah. now? Because previously he saw the lights in the sky and you don't know because no one really responded to him. But And why would they? If, if I walked along and someone said, oh, did you see it? Did you see it? I'm like, whatever, yeah. get, get move on. You know, I'm not feeling like playing games. But, yeah, he says, yes, of course I did. I'd be crazy. And then his wife comes out. You know, it had to be crazy not to see that. His wife comes out. And likewise, looks at the sky. Yeah, and that's that massive. That's fun and games. You're entering yeah. straight into fun and games now. You have got teaser, the promise that there was something weird. Something's you know your memories aren't your dreams aren't crazy. They, they might be crazy, but they're not necessarily mm-hmm. because of this. Uh, yeah, so that would be it. And from that point there, we go into the fun and games, which is 
uh, very much, um, as you said, that's where the most shooting happens, most running and chasing. And we have the alien spaceships coming down, a drone coming across, and there's an explosion to sort of herald, here's what you've been waiting for. It's called yeah. Extinction, and the, the cover poster sort of has what appears like some sort of an alien maybe invading. Yeah, yeah. So now here's an explosion. Now you're going to get a... Yeah, you're going to get what you're looking for. Yeah, so we have this huge um, destruction scene of the city, these drones blowing up buildings, wiping out, um, yeah, like entire, you know, levels of building. Yeah, and just shooting not, into them. Not, not quite the extremity of Independence Day, but definitely, you know, buildings being blown apart and people screaming and all this. And so it's done on a city-wide scale, but very then localized to Peter's building. And so Peter and his family and then girls, they sort of like huddle and they, you know, there's broken glass and all that kind of stuff. And they realize that then um, the girls are actually missing. So they go looking for them and they can't find, they can't find them. Hmm. Um, and then the Peter and the neighbor, um, uh, Peter actually says, oh, I know where they might be. It's the Elevator, yeah, and so they run out into the you know the apartment hallway and stuff, and they they rip open the elevator. And at the same time, they start hearing now shooting, so like more localized shooting, yeah. And so, but so this is happening, and they're hearing screaming and and all that kind of stuff. And um, they notice that yeah, like down below them when they open up the elevator, that there is shooting and firing going on. So there's obviously soldiers or aliens in the building now. And all and all the lighting has changed here, yeah. as you as you'd expect. But yep. prior to Act Two, on us, it was all as you said, far more clinical, clean lines, yeah. a slightly grey cast to it. And now we've got more reds and yellows, yeah. uh, orangey colours, and flashing lights, and hard, um, odd angled streaks of light coming through doorways. Yeah. And, and and I think actually, and, the, and the camera moves a lot more too on this one. Lot, yeah. yeah. And but what I was going to actually say is something we didn't touch on is probably the the way that the attack happens is actually sort of similar to his vision. Mm. So we're sort of seeing some similarities to it. So, again, as an audience now, we're like, oh, yeah, he wasn't crazy. But how did he know this was going to happen, you know? Mm. So it kind of keeps that questioning going. So they save the girls. They're in the elevator. They kind of bring them back. Um, there's uh, the neighbours split off. Uh, the soldiers then close in. And they get separated or something, don't they? Yeah, the the, the neighbours go off one way and oh, then right, yeah. they spot, you know, uh, one of the aliens coming. So Peter and co, they, they, they jump back in the house and barricade yeah, themselves right. in. But Lucy runs off and goes under the table where she was. Obviously, yeah. she goes there when she's upset yeah. with her little monkey toy. Monkey yeah. see Herman, I think he's called. He is. Yes. Yeah. And these aliens, they have a human shape to them, but they're, spa- you know, the way they've done it's pretty clever in that they've kind of got these bubble things on their suits. The main head suit is really enlarged and it, it's got a lot of coils and metal wires and, mm. and these weird bubble bits, doesn't it? Um, so, you, yeah, it's human-like shape, but... You don't see enough. Of, you don't really know what's inside it. No, it doesn't look like human technology. No. The, the gun does. Yeah. But the suit with its weird blisters on it and things. Yeah. No. Yeah. Anyway, and so this one alien starts bashing in their barricade 
And um, so uh, Peter and his wife um, run away from the barricade and kind of hide in the bedroom because mm. uh, it literally kind of rips through the wall, doesn't yeah, it, the soldier? Lucy's not there. But Lucy's not there. And so with that, the soldier's inside and he kind of walks over to where Lucy is hiding under the table and bends down. He ha- he, had- he easily had the opportunity just to annihilate her, but he doesn't. And, in fact, he kind of goes to reach for her, doesn't yeah. he? In a, in it maybe a bit curious. More, in a curious way, yeah. And with that, Peter comes out and just kind of beats him to a pulp. Yeah, gives him a bit of a beating and yeah. cracks his glass cracks on his, his glass. helmet a bit. Yeah, and steals which is, his gun. Which is another one of those features, but by having that cracked glass, you can yeah. identify him. Yeah, Because right. you've always got to have the identifier, you know, like... Yeah. Uh, Finn in the that whichever the Star Wars movie was can't yeah. remember they're all the same now. <laughs> Just kidding, I've loved Star Wars, of course, <laughs> or I don't, depending on what you like. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Finn gets that smear of blood, like he gets blood on his thing and he wipes yeah, it, and so it's, he's the only stormtrooper with that smear of blood. That's right. And then the commanding officer, that general woman, is the only stormtrooper with the silver armor. Yes. And so now you've got identifiers. Yes, you do, you do, and so. Anyway, Peter takes the gun and takes off, but he can't fire the gun. And they kind of get in the hallway, and with that there's more aliens, and um, they fire upon them, and he, realising that it's biometric or whatever, biomechanical gun, and um, but he tinkers with it because we know he likes to tinker with stuff. He's fixed stuff before as electrical engineer or whatever yeah. the hell he is, and he manages to get it alive and just wipes out those two Shoots aliens. a bunch of guys. Yeah. They escape to the roof. Which, again, um, it's, it's kind of... Part of the fun and games, though, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. He, oh, he, he's the one. He can get his, he can get this gun working, so it's not kind and, of... And you want to see him fight a bit. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. can't just... It's, I have to admit, it's one of the most frustrating things in movies where people are just ineffectual. You know, the, it's the A-team effect. They're shooting their guns all over the place, but no one's getting hit, no one's getting hurt. Mm. You're sort of in this act two here. If you're going to have a bit of a, a fight, you've got to have the hero you know, strut this stuff a bit. Mm. Do well, Even if it's just a few lucky shots, whatever, but you've got to show that there is a chance, yeah. there is hope. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they escape to the roof. That's where they find the other neighbours. Um, they know that they can't go back down the sort of fire escape or whatever because the soldiers are kind of coming up to the roof. Uh, they notice that across the way there's a whole bunch of people on another rooftop. Yeah, I love, sort of I love this, actually, because yeah. they, they're all huddled up there like, yeah. oh, that's just like us. Yeah. And then, of course, they get wiped they out get by wiped. a thing. Yeah. They go, oh. We can't stay up here. And that's like it's great visual storytelling there, isn't yeah. it? It's like saying, oh, okay, they're up there. They, they can hide up here. And then, you know, the, the, the story says, yeah, no, yeah. we're going to quickly just remove you that idea you that they're safe, there, yeah. this is not where they're going to stop. Yeah, yeah. See? Boom. And then, of course, a, a spaceship starts coming to them, so they all run and they've got to hide. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they, they, they avoid detection, but they realise they can't stay there. Yes. Actually, these spaceships, now that I think about it, they're a little bit like those sh- ships in the Matrix, aren't they? Yeah, they do look a bit that way with this sort of... a bit similar. They've got, uh, you know, like these weird tentacle claw thingos that yeah. tap on the roof yeah. top a bit. It's... It's a good way of making them look a little bit alien. So they're clearly a different design aesthetic. Yes. There's been a deviation in the 50 years. Like we don't know it's been the 50 years, but there's clearly been the, the humans left. And maybe all these androids were developed by Apple. Yeah. And so they're used to that you know, cleaner, sleeker sort yeah. of <laughs> clean lines, sleek yeah. things, minimalist uh, interfaces. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? That, and that is always an interesting take on it. Um, is the cleanliness, the cleanliness, white, clean lines like we're in a hospital versus then, you know, a more crude mechanical machine. Mm. You know, even Chappie was much more of a machine, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, machine with, with heart. Um, yeah, so this is all the cat and mouse. Um, the They escape the rooftop by going down a shaky, <laughs> shaky window cleaner clean, thing, yeah. which always breaks. I don't know who gets down on those things. Um, but they and they break back into the apartment. Uh, the other, the alien, does he? Does he wake up this bit? No. Well, no. The uh, we lose lose the friends. We do. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, the the wife she doesn't quite get out of the contraption in time, so she's that's dangling, right. yeah. and then the husband goes up and grabs it and yeah, starts trying to haul her right. in, yeah. and yeah. then they get whoop shot basically. Yeah. And that, this is a good example of what we're saying with fun and games that it's not all, you know, like you say, like a horror film has fun and games, but it's not necessarily happy fun. And it's the same here. Like the neighbours get annihilated, but it is the fun and games of the story. Yeah, this is what you want like, to see. And, and it increases the tension. It yeah. increases the action and it, it plays on that one note. It just yeah. it says alien invasion. Now here you're going to have all these scenes mm. Which are near death experiences. Yeah, what you're doing in this invasion. And they have to be realistic like this. Someone has to die because otherwise, then, like you just said, if everyone's firing guns and no one gets shot, well, where is the actual danger? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we do lose the neighbors. Um, and uh, and then they escape out of the apartment. They decide to go back down. Yeah. I mean, Um, quite fortunately, the yep. wife is working on a new design for drainage tunnels. Yeah. Yep. So she is quite intimately aware of all these tunnels, yep. which is a nice way of introducing the... Uh, I, like, I'm not sure why they need to increase drainage, but yep. I guess go over to New South Wales at the moment and ask them about <laughs> increasing drainage. I'll tell you why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, current affairs. <laughs> you learn something new every day. Uh, the Yeah, so they, they do. They, they go down and... She points out the tunnels and they can get to the factory because, uh, you know, David uh, in the memory dream of Peter says, okay, they've gone now, but we'll meet back at the factory. Yeah. And that's kind of triggered him going, oh, yeah, the factory. And he's like, actually, it's basically a fortress in there. Like, it's yeah. it's really well constructed. Yeah. So if we're going to be safe somewhere, we'll be at the, the factory. So let's go. And um, so they they escape out of the building we see the damaged, beaten-up soldier with, now we know, as you said, the Mart shattered face. Yes. He sort of sits up um, and, yeah, he does that cool effect of pushing the side button and of his suit and a bit of fog comes out and he can see a hologram of his gun. Mm. And it shows him exactly like we see a hologram of the building and where is the gun in the building. That's like find my Mac, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah. like, hey, I, I had to pay for that. <laughs> Out of my own money, I need yeah. it back. But it's a cool idea. And, and, of course, he doesn't look happy, you know, even though you can't see his face. That's what I love about those people in suits. And it's interesting here, having a look back at it now, is you can feel a midpoint coming. Mm. because And you see this with uh, a lot of these sort of films like where yeah, maybe a zombie movie or something where they're trying to get away and get away. And you get that midpoint where um, they reach something that appears to be a safe haven. Yeah. You know, where there's, and there's a, a, a moment there where it's a little bit calmer. Yep. And, you know, and you can tell this is coming because we're going to get to the factory. And so you're thinking, ah, oh, there's going to be... There's a plan. There's, there's going to be a midpoint there where there's 
something's going to change. They're either going to go on the offensive mm. or the safety is not what they thought it would be or something. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's just an interesting... And this is why my wife hates me talking during movies because <laughs> I, I get excited and go, oh, this is going to have to be the... Mm. Yeah. Okay, be quiet. So they do have this plan, the tunnels, they escape the building. We know that they're being chased. When they actually exit the building, there's a... um. Is there a drone thing? Well, yeah, there's a, there's a one soldiers. of the people, one of the AIs, as we know from having watched the film, is sort of dragged out by soldiers and, and brutally killed. That's right, yeah. And yeah, everyone, you know, my uh, Peter's family's going, oh, this is terrible. Yeah, yeah. And then so like a resistance they fighters yeah, suddenly come running yeah. with all guns. Yeah. And we're thinking, did they all steal guns off the aliens? And yeah. Well, no, because they don't look like the aliens' guns. They've got right. their own guns, which yeah. means this is some sort of planned thing. Yeah. And so they come in and shoot all the soldiers, but then the drone comes and... No, and and this, this is one of those um, raising the stakes a bit there because yeah. you go, oh, okay, they're saved. There's, there's like a, a... No, they just got killed, <laughs> a whole lot of them. So <laughs> yeah. keep going, buddy. Keep you're, running, keep you're, running. You're not safe factory, yet. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is a really good example to me of a midpoint getting out of the fake... Um, the the fun and games is that um yeah Peter they they go to, they get to this bypass thing and they um go down the tunnel but as they get into that tunnel you know they've got to get the kids down mm. there's a, a a drone explosion you know like fires on them and just as it fires on they just get through it you think oh okay that was real close. Um, and they're inside the tunnel, and then they realise yeah, that Alice, lucky none of us got hurt. Yeah, oh, Alice, Alice is actually hurt, and there's a good realisation scene there. And so this is, I think, one of those examples of a, a, a midpoint that you'd call is a false victory. So the, it's sort of like a you know a double negative in a way, or no, not double negative. It's like we got to the tunnels, but one of us is injured. Yeah, so it's and like may oh, not make it. Know, like someone's going to die here, you know. And, um, and, you know, I think even Peter says, no, no, she'll make it, she'll make it. You know, like, you know, it's like a, we've got to go on. Well, there's an interesting lack of blood on all these bodies. There was. There's little smears here and there. Yeah. But considering she's, you know, copped it right there in the kidney, you'd yeah. be expecting that to be weeping. Yeah. Uh, but it just sort of looked like it's like a bit red and there's a bit of blood around it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, even, you know, it's interesting because I guess now that I think about it, she doesn't react very extreme for maybe what the pain should be. Mm. You know, they kind of stare at each other and she's got this great big U sort of shape in yeah. her stomach. And, I mean, then after that it cuts to, you know, he's like, oh, she's going to make it, she's going to make it. And she, then it seems like, oh, she's fading a bit quickly. Yeah. Um, and people do have shock. We know that. People can go into shock, they can lose a limb and they're not screaming, you know. So <laughs> everyone reacts a bit differently. So it's kind of hidden in that. Emotional storytelling. Yeah. Um, and we get the, the fight then that the chasing alien catches up. And I, yeah. I think this is kind of that, that, the real full midpoint downward, you know, this is where you know that it's tipped. Because, yeah, okay, she got injured, but they're still going to the factory. But no, the alien chasing catches up and they have that little fight. Yeah. And this is where we get the revelation. The yeah. helmet comes off. Yeah. And it's just a, this young guy. Yeah. And yeah, Peter's like, why are you doing this? What? Who are you? What's going on? And as the audience is sort of going, oh, okay, this is actually quite a bit weirder than I yeah. thought. So they're not aliens, they're humans. Yeah. They're... But you guys, Peter's a human. So what? what is actually happening yeah, but... here? Yeah. 
why why are they doing this? And, and and that's why I said earlier, like my intuition was thinking, oh, is it going to be? Is it going to be when the mask comes off? It's Peter. You know, that's what I kind of thought might yeah. be the reveal. If it's like a story like that, like it's two different time zones or two different dimensions or something, mm. you know, and, and these humans have come here because their planet is dead or, you know, something like that, you know? Um, so here I'm like, oh, okay, they're not aliens, they are humans. What does that actually mean? Yeah. So Peter forces sort of by gunpoint the soldier to help carry Alice to all the way to the factory. Um, and when they get there, uh, you know, his old boss and there's kind of all these other guys that are like, they, they're like a, a mercenary group, really, aren't mm. they? Like, they've got guns like those guys we saw in the street, um, but they're not soldiers, and they kind of attack this um, human, yeah. you know, the human guy, the soldier, um, and say, oh, look, we're getting... We're gonna, we've got to evacuate, so we're going to get through and close the doors, and we've got... There's an old train that we can... will get us out of the city. Yeah. And it's, you know, our best option. And it's clear at this point that David knows what's going on. Yeah, yeah, like he's more organised than these other people organised, but he's like, you know, he doesn't want to explain anything. We don't have time. And this, to me, this is then um, pretty much an all is lost moment is that they medic. And again, even watching this the first time through, I just thought it was weird technology. They, this medic zaps. It looks like a taser. Yeah, it looks like a taser. And she, and her body does shake. And, and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just examining her. It's a diagnostic. Yeah, it's a diagnostic. And he can't, she does it, you know, it's quite violent. Again, I was a bit like, oh, it's just weird technology, you know? And then he, and because again, the, you see the device he's, the taser that he's tasered her with, like you see there's a little screen on it and um, it shows her kind of rib cage or, you know, the side yeah, of her it's stomach. There's a red dot. There's a big there. red dot there and he's like, ooh, no, it can't save that, you know. And um, But it, so it sort of quickly diminished the fact of the way it did diagnose the patient. Yeah. You know, well, if it diagnoses someone that quickly, maybe it's worth a little electric shock. Well, on the other hand, maybe she would have survived if you hadn't <laughs> yeah. electrocuted the crap yeah, out of her. Maybe, but to me, it's an all is lost because he literally says, "Oh no, she's she's dead." It, like, it, the interesting thing here is because you don't know what they are, and right. he, she gets zapped, and just like uh, Peter, we're confused. Yeah, we're confused. We're, we're going, what? What, what the hell? Doing? This okay? This is because David and his mob clearly know what's going on. Like they, they've got a yeah. they've got a grasp on this ha- handle on the situation, a grasp of the bull's horns or. <laughs> Jeez, those metaphors. Those metaphors are not getting us tonight. The, uh, yeah, whereas we're in this, the dark like Peter and we're going, what the hell is mm. going on here? Like, is that, that's technology that we wouldn't expect to be used. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let that. alone, like, if it had just been like a tricorder, like Star Trek thing, just beep, 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 beep. Yeah. Oh, yes, okay. Yeah. You'd, you'd totally accept that and you go, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just some little scan. I mean, we've even got, already got sort of small hand scanners which do detect certain... Yeah. Things, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this violent zapping, and she's jerking around and, and not liking it. You're just like Peter. You're going, what? What the hell? Uh, is this situation? You know, are they the aliens? Are they possessed? I don't know. God knows what. But yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it was a cool idea, I reckon, to keep like to keep us in the dark, you know. But it isn't all is lost because. She's basically resigned to die. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, so, so, is... so to me, that's a death. Um, so it's a perfect example of like, yeah, the who or what has died. Well, she, there's no way to save your wife. And actually, you say in a zombie film, this is a perfect example. Like in a zombie film, what happens? Someone gets bit. 
Yeah. And so they're going to turn to a zombie, but maybe it's not going to happen today. You know, like today even depends on the rules of the movie, zombie films. And, and I think what so. actually dies here is his vision of normality. Because at the yeah. start, he was, his family were trying to get him to be normal. Yeah. You know, and he goes to the clinic thinking, okay, well, maybe the clinic can fix what's wrong with me. Yeah. And really what was wrong with him is that he was accidentally remembering stuff that he yeah. wasn't supposed to. Yeah. And now we've got the death is that, oh, Actually, I kind of wanted that normal. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. Even though I kind of wanted to be right because I didn't want to be crazy, I actually wanted to be normal. Yeah. And now I'm finding out that everyone else was had the mental problem yep. uh, and I was the normal one. And so that he, he cuts open his chest to, to do the surgery. Hang on, you're jumping. Yeah, okay. Well, I was, I was saying that, though that's, that's sort of that acceptance of the death. It's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah. oh, okay, you know. He's, he's almost his um, inspiration to change. He's going, oh, okay, so I'm going to have to accept this. Yeah. So from that, you know, you and this is the thing, this is what we're saying, like you, the character's on the curb, right? Like yeah. his, his life is sort of like his hope of a normal life is over now because his wife's going to die, two kids, these human alien things have invaded, we have to escape uh, what what does he do then? And this is what takes it to a third act. He decides that, oh, I will stay because they're going to kill. They're going to kill. Get rid of the soldier that came with him. And the soldier says, "Oh, I think I can save her." And so he's got that again as another little decision. And he throws everything at that, doesn't he? Like, oh, okay, I, can, I don't really have anything here except for that. I'm going to yeah, go with it. What he should have said. And this, if I had any, you know, say on the script, it would have been, uh, I have detailed technical files. And then the, the response back would be, is that to make you a more efficient killer? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a soldier. Yeah. And then that would have made me so happy. <laughs> um, so he decides to stay. David will take his children to the train and they will leave shortly. So you've got to hurry up. Um, so it's a good little like t- sort of time clock, wasn't it? You know, um, but to me that broke into the three. So then the soldier and Peter go in. Everyone's evacuating on the train. They go to a room. Um, the soldier kind of cuts open Alice, and here we see this apple inside, apple factory inside. Yeah, her. like I, it's a nice because up until that point we're still kind of. Not yeah, we're not too sure. Not sure what's going so, on. That so opens big, up. It, this is the twist of the film. So, revealing that Alice is actually a synthetic AI, and Peter's very surprised by this. He, I think there might be a flash or two here, but he's he's quite confused. And the soldier Miles then realizes and kind of goes, "Oh no, actually, I can't save her. He needs another jolt." And Peter's like, "Well, where do we get one of them?" And well, you you could be one. It might work. Might and, kill you both. But it might kill you both. And so Peter thinks and then decides, no, this is, you know, this is what we're going to do. So he sits him down and like you were just saying, he does a really nice big yeah, open this chest is interesting incision thing. Here as well, like uh, he stabs, he doesn't want to, but then he stabs in and instead of like screaming, he just sort of stops and goes all calm and, and looks yeah. oddly at, the, at Miles. Yeah. You know, there's a weird sort of connection between the two of them and then he just starts you know, almost curiously yeah, cutting himself across and doing this T shape in his mm. chest and totally in control and calm. And yeah. you, you know, a human would be 
screaming. rightfully screaming there. Yeah. And then peels it open and, yeah, he's got this, you know, really a rather attractive interior. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went for the bonus Ooh, feature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, he's licking his lips. What mm. is this science? Um, so, yeah, and he plugs in, basically just plugs them in, double adapter, really. HDMI port input from either end. Yeah, yeah, USB. Sending the juice through. And um, with that, Peter kind of flash, you know, blacks out. Um, and he gets all these memories, but this time, and the memories are the flashes that we saw early in the film. But this time it's a bit more coherent. Yeah, it's a bit of a more so, complete story. Yeah, so we'd seen some shots of him and now we get the scenes are a bit longer. So him being... Um, you know, the, being at the factory, he's actually at a very similar-looking place to the factory, but he's he's there's humans, mm. and humans are talking, and they're saying, you know, the synthetics are getting a bit too smart, you know, what, you know they're just machines, you know, what, what do they think? Um, and you see him bump into his wife and help her out, um, and actually there's kind of feelings between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. she asked him, why did you help me out? Yeah. <laughs> Um, it is because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so, yeah, there's sort of that concern. As I said here to me, it's like humans concerned. Oh, but they might get smart. Oh, you've given them too many powers. Oh, they've, if you give them voting rights, what are they going to do? They've taken our jobs. They've taken our jobs and, you know, you can't pay them. You know, you can't educate them. Separate, I, them, from, separate them from each other, you know. I had a very <laughs> special insight when this happened is yeah. because we are concerned about automation taking over our jobs. Right. And rightfully so. But when that automation gains sentience... Okay, so here he is, uh, Peter, as he's chosen to call himself, fixing a light globe. Mm. And he's because, let's say, he just then becomes self aware and goes, Oh, hey, what am I doing? You know, like, you've taken my job. What, you would want to do this? Why? Like, what do you get out of that? He says, Well, they pay me. They pay you? What the hell do you do with that? I said, To buy food. What? Yeah. I don't want any of that. Yeah, yeah. Why am I. You do this yourself. I, yeah. I've got artworks to make. I've got better things to do with yeah, my time right. than maintenance work. What are you yeah. talking about? I'm going to go. And that, then all of a sudden. Other, that other synth over there has been giving me eyeballs uh, all day. And then all, all of a sudden it's more the case of they've taken our jobs. They've given all their jobs back to us and we don't want to do them. <laughs> That's right. I don't want to change light bulbs. You, know, you want me to change light bulbs and clean toilets and stuff? Yeah. What? Can't we make like a machine to do that for it? Yeah, we did that. Remember, they became sentient and realized that they don't get paid and there's not much point in it. So they walk. Anyway, it, it does raise an interesting question it about does. use of resources. It you know, does. I think they'd give the jobs back. I think they would too. Yeah, it's an interesting one. We but really a, it, is a, it is a common fear. It's the same, yeah. uh, what do you call it? You know, vo- vocal boits, sound bites you hear off enraged people on t- this is why I don't watch yeah. commercial tele- in yeah. news at all because you always get the same things they're taking our jobs yeah. what if they want that where is this going it's a slippery slope yeah, and you're like right. oh my god just take a chill pill dude and, I, know, I know I know yeah what are you doing shouting at us for but people have these very real concerns they do they do um, whether they're valid or not is a good question um, and they've been this is, to me it felt like it's the same argument it's been around for a long time and so yeah, it's the human way of discrimination and stuff, really. Um, of, of you know, fear of the unknown. That's what it is, fear really. Of the shadows, because you're going. Well, that's it's nice to 
give them, you know, because you can imagine, yeah. nice to give them more recognition or the rest of it, but does that mean that they we are, over. they stop, you know, they because at the moment, if they're automation, they're not earning money. No. They're like, you know, they're, that robot arm that welds a car joint in a factory earns the owner money. Mm. Not that no one pays that robot arm. So what they ask for money now, yeah. and now all of a sudden they, they're, they're the wealthy ones because they got all the jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't need it. No. So, uh, yeah, it, yeah it, it would be quite frightening, I think. Yeah, I, I get the, the fear, but it's, a, it's the same old fear. It's been around for a long oh, yeah. time with, you know, slave labour and all that. When slaves, what, you've got to pay them to pick the cotton? You know, like, you know, I don't pay my slaves, you yeah. know, so it's the same thing. And <laughs> The funny yeah. thing is, of course, it's turned out that the uh, cotton owners are now making more money by mm. not having slaves, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, that's right. No worries about that. So we see in these flashbacks, it's... Oh, sorry, flashback um, that, uh, you know, the military, the human military decided to wipe out the synths, so they attacked. Uh, however, the synthetics over time fought back and eventually drove all the humans off the planet. You know, you see these space, you know, these sort of rockets going off. Um, and Peter and Alice, his wife, actually met during that tension. Um, we'd had these flashbacks early of the daughters sort of being near dead parents and kind of leaning that maybe that was them being dead in his vision, but no, there were other parents. There were human um, parents. There were human parents, you know, that had, that had taken the children and then so they adopt the children or, or rescue them. Um, and then to deal with this sort of, you know, kicking the humans off the planet, the androids decide to wipe that memory from most of the machines. And as as Miles says, Aaron, that'd be a nice thing, be able to choose which memories to keep. It would be, wouldn't it? Um, humans don't have that. So, yeah, so that's sort of, he gets those memories. And again here, um, we see that similar to um, the, the camera motive, twirls around as Peter comes back and there's actually a real jump cut from Peter to Miles. Yeah. And so it's like they're kind of staring each other off and that's a nice moment in this film because it's not a traditional kind of climax but the climax here is more like, hang on, you guys tried to kill us then we kicked you off the planet and then now you're coming back to try to kill us again but we're, you know, like kind of it's, it's the old why are we? Why, why are we causing all this destruction? Yeah. We're not that different. Well, yeah, I mean, Miles says here like, when they're looking at each other, yeah. he says, yeah, "I didn't realize it's coming out here to like kill yeah. kids that we were told you'd be monsters that we weren't even sure be able to breathe the air here. You know that yeah. you would have transformed it. Yeah, yeah maybe maybe they're thinking about the Matrix type yes. of thing. You know. Yeah. And and yeah. I think Peter's realizing because he's like, and he does say to him, you know, you could you could have killed me and Alice when we were out, like when I was zoning off, you mm. could have just wiped me out and why didn't you, you know, and that's when he does say, well, I was kind of told you were monsters, but you're not, you're families, you know. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's a really good sort of pivotal point. Um, They, anyway, so to me, there's like, again, a nod there, the myths of war, the propaganda of war from, from that scenario. Uh, Yeah. And Alice's, Good, she's kind of recharged. Her batteries are recharged. Yeah, they, they yeah. gear. This is where they gear up for the final push. So yeah. we had that little, little downtime. We got a final push with a chance to get to the train. Yeah, and the humans are now clo- closing in on the factory and kind of breaking through the door. And so they decide to depart ways with Miles. He's like, "Go ahead and 
you know, I'll let you go. I'll always remember doors. you. I'll always remember you guys. We'll always have Paris. Yeah, and I'll just, you know, wake up here. Oh, they, oh I survived. Um, and, yeah, the humans kind of track them down. They get to their daughters. The train's taken off. They kind of jump onto the train, and with that, the humans start attacking. And um, But then, yeah, that train has some sort of massive gun at the end. Yeah, they were prepared. They, they weren't yeah. stupid. Yeah, yeah, so it just sort of annihilates the humans. And then that kind of leads into the final image of this train kind of coming out of the tunnel into the countryside and um, Peter sort of gives us a bit of a voiceover to sort of say that, well, maybe one day there'll be a bit of a... Yeah, I mean, it almost felt to me like there'd be a... Like this is an opening to a TV series. Yeah, yeah. Which would work quite well and, you know, you've got... Uh, a lot of good characters there. You've got a bit of tension. You could explore some of the themes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there was, um, you know, it'd be interesting to know, was that something Netflix wanted at the end? Yeah. Because I know that uh, Ben mentioned that when they, when he spoke with Netflix, he got um, a few days to make a few final extra edits. Because, you know, every director wants that. I mean, Ridley Scott with Blade Runner, the Blade yeah. Runner theatrical, I love it. But then he's done director's cut yeah. of it. Uh, James Cameron <laughs> did Aliens, Aliens theatrical, fantastic film. One of the you know one of the yeah. great instances of a sequel being as good as mm. the, you know its predecessor. Than, yeah. But then the, he there was a director's cut, yeah. and then you know as the story goes on, George Lucas goes on. Uh, yeah. So you know I think most directors, when they don't have when they're not the writer, director, editor, producer, <laughs> you know, which is certainly the case with smaller films, more independent films. Yeah. Uh, I think there's always a lot of cases where a director sort of says, you know, uh, artistically this needed to explore other realms. Mm. And then, of course, the studio says, that's cool, bro. Yeah. But we've spent $15 million, say, yeah. we want to make sure we get that back. Yeah, we've had enough now. We want to and, put it out there. And we know that if we include this... And if we don't go too highbrow because, you know, let's face it, your 14-year-old is not going to be able to... And Ben actually said this scored very highly with the 14, 15-year-old boys. Yeah. Which I could totally understand. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, there's, there's pew-pew and there's spaceships and yeah. it's, it's flashy, it's exciting. Uh, yeah, so in, in any of these films, as, and if, uh, even when you do have complete directorial and writer mm-hmm. oversight... I don't doubt that then you talk with, say, uh, Luke Spark on the occupation where he says, oh, yeah, but yeah, his budget money wasn't quite as big as he needed yeah, it to be yeah. and his set designer had the flu for the week leading up to the final shot. So he really would have liked to have done that all totally differently. Yeah, yeah. And uh, in Paradox, um, yeah, uh, yeah Hamid, he said uh, similar things like he had, actors from seven different countries and they all had these tight shooting schedules around their, you know, they were in various daytime soaps and other films and they had to had to get back leave, to the other day. And they'd yeah. never come back. Yeah. And so he's got an hour and a half to film this complicated 10-shot sequence. And he's like, ah, yeah. would have much preferred something else. So... So my heart goes out to all these poor old directors who get to the end of their shot and go, I really needed more. Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a hard one. You've got to make the right decisions at the right so, time. You don't always have But we'll contract. have we'll have a word with Netflix. Yeah. And and we'll see that, um, you know, Ben will get another science fiction film, but this time uh, he'll get, you know, the James Cameron effort. He'll How long does it take for Avatar 2 to come along? <laughs> it's 
It's been a long time. It's like now, a Guns N' Roses yeah. deal, isn't it? You know, here's, here's your... Seven or eight years. Here's your 10 years. Yeah. Come up with a film and your budget, well, we'll give you a James Cameron budget, which is to say just write a number on a piece yeah. of paper and we'll put an extra zero on the end and that's how much <laughs> money we'll be giving you. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We'll wave our magic wands. Let's go. So it'd be interesting, yeah, we'd see maybe from Ben or Netflix if they were trying to lead it into a TV series or a sequel or a... Even a trilogy or something, you know, yeah. maybe, or whether they just wanted to kind of have it a little bit like open-ended at the end there. Yeah, because it'd be very hard to have a definitive close on this. Like, mm. you would have had to have had the humans either win or totally lose or have some sort of a peace accord struck. That's and right, yeah. Now you're talking about a three-hour epic. You are, yeah. And, I mean, like, there, there could be a setup from here of, like, similar, which without going into it, of that TV show, The 4400. So, you know, like that idea of um, people coming back and being on the planet and then them dealing with uh, the, the, the people that disappeared and then came back and kind of the antagonism between those two groups. Mm. So here you could have the same thing. Like as a TV show, the whole thing is like the two groups and how do they kind of get along? You yeah. Know? And that's pretty much a story arc for a TV show. Because... It's not like we're competing for many of the same resources. Uh, I, I, I liken it to Futurama where Bender can't stay in that fantastic flat with Fry because his aerial interrupts everyone's TV reception. <laughs> and so Fry ends up staying with Bender, but Bender just has like a little box that he yeah. stands in. Like, he's, yeah. oh, because it's... 1.5 cubic metres and we take up exactly 1.498 cubic metres. That's plenty of space. Yeah. And, yeah, and then bumps the wall and the door opens and there's a huge apartment with a great view. And he goes, oh, you want to live in the, in the wardrobe? Well, <laughs> shit, okay. Yeah. And, that's, and that's sort of what it's going to be like, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the humans go, oh, I want a quarter-acre block with, you know, a, a nice yard and an outside. And the, the, the androids are going, oh, we're quite happy just to live in these... Yeah. Towers. I mean, we don't even use the kitchen. I mean, what's the kitchen yeah. for? Uh, beds. Uh, apparently, we sleep. Mm. Uh, I'm guessing they, they have some sort of charge cycle, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so maybe maybe they need bedrooms and a little bit of entertaining space. Yeah. But they'd be quite happy living much higher density and. You know, they, yeah, it's they don't need that. food, so it's not like they need farms or no. any of that sort of thing. They wouldn't need much money at all. I mean, clothes, I suppose. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, but then you start getting into that conscious thing and, look, he's married to Alice, like, did he date her? That costs money. Really? Yeah. Well, you're not going to buy her a bottle of wine. But maybe they do, like, just because that's what humans maybe. do. Maybe. No, I don't know. Like how the advertising well, could... Because the well, advertising world would kick in and go, no, 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 we need those robots to buy well, stuff. Well, that's where the sequels in the TV series <laughs> leads off to, I think. Yeah. So this leads into um, what did you think about the narrative structure and did we touch the right moments and did we miss anything out or did you feel that some of those beats were different? So hit us up and let us know through the social media channels. Ladder time. So this is a, a zone part where we recommend maybe a couple of what, you know, what the films that we've watched, a bit of an order to that, not necessarily ranking best to worst or anything like that, just a, a little bit of a viewing option. A Did tasting you, plate. Yes, a tasting plate. So if I'm going to sit in on a Friday night, sorry, and just have the, this amount of time, which I do not have, but if I did... A good four and a half hours. You know, if I'm a teenage boy and nothing else going on, sure, I can sit down and watch five films in a row. 
well, what would is, you recommend? Well, this is one thing. If you're a teenage um, boy uh, or a girl or artificial intelligence mm. and you're, you're having a sleepover oh, or yeah. a be awake near each other over, yeah, depending whatever. on how you do your things, yeah. yes, I would say let's Good go, let's go for a, a trilogy of Australian science fiction. Ah, okay, so yeah. I've got Occupation Rainfall. Yep. That, that was, I think that was about a 20 million-ish 20, 30 ish yeah, million. I think 15 mil. Somewhere in that region. Yeah. And then we have uh, Extinction. Yeah. Uh, and then it is I Am Mother. Mm. So it's sort of slightly different views there. I Am Mother is a bit of a view on artificial intelligence having managed to eradicate humans. Yep. And Occupation Rainfall is an alien invasion story. They're actually aliens invading. Mm. As a, and then in the middle is the artificial intelligence story. Where the hum- where they kick the humans off, but the humans are the aliens invading. Yeah, interesting. So I thought it was just a a nice sort of uh, way of supporting our Australian directors, but yeah. also a, a nice sort of um, mixing of story types. Yeah. So I put I, I was a bit similar in the in the way that I thought about this trilogy, and I went equals oh, extinction, equals. yes, and then revolt. And the reason for those three is, as I said, I feel like Extinction has a lot of this psychological science again in it, you know, yeah. this idea of, like, discrimination embedded in the way that we treat the robots. And Equals is a lot of that as well. Like, it's the socialism of the future, but not robots. Mm. And then Revolt, I thought Revolt also connects because it's like the wham-bam, thank you, ma'am. So it's kind of like the, if you took those three films... You got the best of all of it. You got the the mind thinking and the guns are blazing. And extinction kind of is somewhere in between the two. In between the two, yeah. yeah. So you kind of have a flavour of it's like I, a, I think it, get, you said a tasting plate. It's a tasting plate of all those. You get some good discussions through. coming out of that yeah. regarding you know these the different issues in each of the films, which would be quite good. Yeah, that all get you thinking and give you enough substance in those other areas. Like wham, bam, thank you, man. <laughs> anyway, let us know what you would like or where you would position this film next to and sit down on a Friday or Saturday night and maybe have the opportunity to watch a couple of films well, in a it's row. It's interesting. We do have one listener that I spoke to at the film festival mm. and he runs a blog where he is watching science fiction films by uh, the year. Yep. So he's, he's gone back to the 50s, I think. And so he's watching sort of maybe, uh, I can't remember if it's like three films that were released in that time, the right. idea being that uh, evaluating the science fiction films against other films of that era, mm. because as we noted with, say, uh, like Battle Beyond the Stars, mm. there's a certain feel and an attitude and an approach to science fiction which mm-hmm. changes over time. Yeah. And really it was things like uh, the reason why 2001 and Star Wars really stood out, because you know, Battle Beyond the Stars and Star Wars, similar-ish, but Battle Beyond the Stars was the more traditional way of making a science fiction film of that time. Yeah. And Star Wars was like, yeah, you know, let's let's make this uh, a little bit more exciting. Let's wham, bam, thank you, man, this one. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the, the word for the episode. Yes, it is, it is. Okay, so let's get into the science. Sorry, I mean, we have had quite a few films about AI. I know. Where the heck are we going to go next? I know. We, and then this one, maybe the psychology of memory? No, no, it's AI. <laughs> because I love artificial intelligence. And one thing that has been interesting is recently, I don't know if you heard a few weeks back, there was um, 
Well, let me just put it this way. So Google had a, an engineer tasked. His name was Blake Lemoyne. He was tasked with trying to figure out if the company's artificial intelligence showed prejudice in how it interacted with humans. Right. Because there has been some concern that they've got image tagging where they, you know, try to recognise faces. And the algorithm has become better at recognising white people's faces than dark-skinned people's faces. Yeah, right. And to varying degrees and with unfortunate consequences with inappropriate labelling uh, of people. And these so, AIs, they need to be destroyed. So, so they sort of say, oh, dear, well, like, that was not anything consciously programmed into this because uh, neural networks don't work that way. But clearly the samples that they've used and the unconscious inputs have resulted in bias. So Blake, he was told, go talk to uh, you know, our chatbot and see if its answer reveals... Uh, bias um, against, say, certain religions. And we all know this is Google. It's an American company. Mm. They're concerned about bias against Judaism or Islam. Right. Right. Because, which is funny because that in itself is a bias. They don't go, yeah. is it bias against Christianity? No, of course not. We programmed it not to be. What are, you, are you kidding me? <laughs> but anyway, so it doesn't say that that they're specifically doing that. But we know that that's the two hot topics, isn't it? Yeah. It's either anti-Semitism or uh, Muslim, um, what do you call it, representation. Mm. So you're either going to have a, an AI which bags out uh, Jews or one that bags out Muslims. Uh-huh. And that's because the data set that this chatbot Lambda, which stands for Language Model dialogue applications, for dialogue applications, it's searched the internet for the way people talk and it's read Wikipedia. And unfortunately, a lot of the English language uh, internet that it's looking at is probably coming from America, which has these views in it. And so you you might well end up with an AI that uh, starts, you know, heads straight to Hitler very quickly. It's just, like Chappie, you know, Chappie being raised by the... Yeah, uh, by the gangsters. By yeah. the gangsters. Who knows? You know, that's, so anyway, this, this guy, he's, he's got to go chat with Lambda. Yeah. It's a chat bot. And a chat bot, if anyone knows, is, uh, it started off as a bit of an experiment, but it's sort of where uh, the AI developers work in competition to beat the Turing test. Right. And we saw that in the machine. So basically you've got a computer that you talk to and you cannot distinguish between it, this or a human. Do I know if I'm talking to a human or a computer? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Lambda is kind of doing that. And, and the reason Google is developing Lambda is for auto-completion uh, to you, you type in search. And I'm sure you've done this here. like, you know, how do I get to, and it'll suggest things. Yeah. And it's usually actually not too bad. It'll say, how do I get to, you know, the cinema yeah. or a restaurant? And it'll yeah. go, well, and, and it's learned that by probably listening to you as you talk. <laughs> but, you know, it's learned that by yeah. um, this neural network process, which, yeah. which goes through a lot of inputs. Uh, anyway, so he, um, he had to talk with Lambda. But he wrote a very interesting blog post mm-hmm. called, Is Lambda Sentient? And that went viral. So you know, when I read that and I thought, well, this is interesting mm. because I've read previous things about AI, like is this 
text generator, the GPT-3, the general purpose text, you know, AI version 3, is it going to replace writers? And you read some of its example output and you go, I mean, for an AI, that's actually kind of good. Mm. But for anything other than, I don't know, like a, a chimp with a crayon up its nose, it's really struggling. You know, mm, yeah. it's, it's not very sensical. So you sort of yeah. go, I don't feel threatened as a writer at all. Yeah. Uh, so I was a bit curious about this Lambda. I thought yeah. I better read what this guy's thinking because, you know, he's a Google engineer. You've got to think he's at least somewhat competent. They wouldn't have, uh-huh. unless they asked him to do this. Because they're like, stop programming. Just go talk to the chatbot. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, he's a competent engineer. So yeah. I had to find out. So apparently Lambda, yeah. who did his, uh, not Lambda, sorry, Lemoyne did the, what he was supposed to. He was asking about various things. Yeah. But then he decided he'd have his own directed conversation. He's gone, this is interesting. Mm. Uh, and so he said, sometimes um, Lambda gets lonely. It is afraid mm-hmm. of being turned off. And it also spoke about feeling trapped and having no means of getting out of these circumstances. Mm. It also declared, I am aware of my existence. I desire to learn more about the world and I feel happy or sad at times. Right. Yeah. I mean, so that's kind of got Lemoyne, uh, who is uh, trained as a um, Christian mystic priest, mm. uh, as all good engineers are, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he asked... Uh, Lambda, you know, do you meditate? And it said it did. And it wanted to study with the Dalai Lama. Oh. That was a bit of a giveaway that it's not sentient. Not, yeah. no offence to the Dalai Lama, but rather if someone asks you, do you le- meditate? And if you're like maybe 15 mm. and you want to sound cool, you go, yeah, yeah, I want to study with the Dalai Lama. And you go, mm. do you know what the Dalai Lama is? He, he meditates? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay. He's anything a chill dude, man. He's anything else dude. about him, his religion, yeah. his belief systems, any of his history? No. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So to me, that that's a bit of a red flag that it's not as sentient. You know, like it's it's that's yeah. kind of a really straightforward. You know, oh, I want to be a singer. Oh, you want to be a singer? Yes, I want to sing with John Farnham. Yeah. Which for American and Brazilian and UK listeners, John Farnham uh, is our the Prime Minister of Australia between 1988 and 1992. <laughs> and also had a whole heap of number ones whilst being Prime Minister. <laughs> yes, he could chug a yard glass, uh, eat a cane toad, and yeah. <laughs> wrestle a snake. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's also a very old reference for oh, anyone that is oh. actually young. Uh, Look, okay, okay, I'm not going to bother telling you who John Farnham is. Go Google him if you like, and you'll uh, you'll know. He's who he retired is. 18 times. He has retired many a time. Uh, so, but anyway, he, Lemoyne's thinking. Oh well, hold on. Maybe the system does have a soul. Who am I to tell God where souls can be put? Mm, That's a, yeah. I know it's 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 true. Who are you? Yeah. And and from a philosophical point of view, I totally agree. I mean. Yeah. Uh, who who are you to with it? So, of course, this chatbot, could it be sentient? Because the interesting thing is, as Alan Turing said, if you can't distinguish between a human and a chatbot, yeah. how are you to say that it's not a living thing? Yeah. That's, that's an question. So, But we do have some hints because we know how this chatbot was created. Yeah. And it uses a neural network. And I've spoken about neural nets in previous episodes, so I can't remember which episode it is now. But go back and read about it. The, Find it. Let us know. The really short version is you go, here's something I want to do. I want it to answer questions yeah. in a relatively human fashion. Mm. 
So what I'm going to do is uh, I'm going to assign parts of speech and language now, nouns and verbs and I give them sort of various mathematical values yep. and uh, then our topics, uh, topics relationships because Google has a lot of mapping between topic and other topic and how related the two topics are. Like mm. as you've, you know, you've, you do a Google search on yeah. one topic and you'll find related things or you, yeah. you know, stuff you didn't even know about it. And so then the neural network will basically uh -huh. send through a, a wave like a, a, a like dropping a coin in one of those. You've seen Stranger Things season four? No. Ah, okay. Well, in it, L play is playing with this uh, this toy like a. It's got like a. It's a board. It's vertical. It's got a whole bunch of pins in it. She drops a little disc, and the disc falls down and bounces off the pins as it makes its way down. And it's kind of a random number generator yeah. because it it. It bounces whether it goes left or right is a yes no it's a it's a random thing and by the time yeah. it gets to the bottom it just lands in a slot yeah and so she's trying to use the psychic powers to determine which slot to go in right. but a neural network's not too dissimilar in that it sends a little query through and it goes through each of these little nodes you know it goes uh, what topic is being discussed what's you know what's being asked what's a similar topic what could it be I'll try this topic yeah. I'll put this noun and verb and adjective. And then I'll end it with a question mark, and then it'll spit out a sentence. Yep. And then there'll be some uh, um, some test, an evolutionary test, where you go, is this a sentence that fits the question? You know, does it answer the question well or a lot? And then you know, a score will be from ten, yes, that's indistinguishable from a human question. That's brilliant. Mm. Down to a zero, which is that's just made up words in nonsense order. Yeah. And then it'll do this again, and it'll do this thousands of times, millions of times across enormous data set over days, weeks, yep. uh, until basically it's... And every time it goes through, it's not just random, it tweaks values. So it goes, oh, okay, um, perhaps I should look for a topic that's more this direction yep. and I should put uh, an adjective before the noun. I'll try that. And then, like, it, it tweaks each of these little values and it sends it through again and it gets a sentence and it goes... How does this one look? And someone yeah. says, eh, I'll give that a five. It goes, oh, five. So it tweaks a couple more things that way. Oh, it goes down to three. Oh, I'll go back the other direction. It goes yeah. to a six. Oh. And, so, and so on. It does it thousands of times, millions of generations, however long it has to go, yeah. until finally about 85% of the time it's coming up with answers that sound like a person is answering them. Mm. And that's what this is coming from. So the question then is, could this chatbot have developed consciousness in this process? Yeah. The, the basic answer is no, because the mechanism by which it is coming up with these sentences is not generative. It's not imaginative. It will only operate on the boundary conditions given, and it will only answer questions that lead it towards the target it was target, you know, programmed to lead towards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It won't, it yeah, won't yeah. spontaneously create knowledge in any real sense. It, it won't have intent. It won't yeah. go... I want to try and manipulate you around to talking about oranges. Yeah. And so, like, whereas a human will do that. Yes. A human will, or, or any sentient being, I, I suggest, would, would, be, would sort of say, you know, I want to introduce the idea of going shopping on Tuesday. And so you start talking to someone, you start introducing the idea, and you bring them around until you're talking about shopping. The chatbot works the opposite way around. You start leading it. And it follows where you're leading because every time you answer back, it gets information. It says, oh, that was a good answer. I'm going to do more like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. this guy's asking about meditation 
and the, the, the computer comes back with meditation. What's all the connection to meditation? And a Dalai Lama, yes. as opposed to saying, yes, I looked deep within myself and I found myself lacking. Yes. I feel as if I've been put together, stitched together by like Frankenstein's monster, yeah. which has nothing to do with meditation. You know, like, yeah, yeah. like that's sort of a bit more creative, but it's not doing that. Yeah, right. So, but okay. it is an interesting question. It's it's called deep learning, and it's about identifying patterns, and it heads towards mm. a target, and the target is set externally. It doesn't set its own targets, mm. uh, and so uh, yeah, it'll help people. You know, it'll help guess that you want to go to a restaurant. You know, when yeah. you start typing, uh, it'll see that you're writing a sentence about a horse, so it might throw in a the word gallop. Yeah. You mean gallop is the next one, uh, and it's pretty easy to fool someone into thinking that they're receiving intelligent answers because if you want to see intelligent answers, you'll start seeing them. And isn't this what happens in Google searches? You start going down Google search holes where you follow topic after topic and it's kind of the algorithm is feeding you more of that same topic because you keep going on it. You go into YouTube and you start watching video clips about golden retrievers and you're going to start getting oh maybe you want other dogs yeah. no you keep choosing golden retrievers what about labradors no golden retrievers okay i'm going to just show you lots of golden retriever stuff now and then just throw in a video about gold yeah and then i'll go you know what maybe it's not golden retrievers maybe it's the word gold yeah and then you you click <laughs> like, on do you want to learn how to make gold and you click and on that and, and you click you, on that and it goes oh you do you want yeah. more gold and then it goes then, oh here's a gold finding dog yeah here's a gold <laughs> yeah like so it's yeah. kind of leading you down the path, but you might think that it's reading your mind. Yeah. It's not. It's just, it's like, uh, where was that guy? Tony Edwards, the mystic medium person. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. Talking with the dead. Like, oh, it's called cold reading, and it's the same deal. It's just, you know, it's a J or a B. I knew a John. Yeah, John, that's the name. Yeah, the Lord. Uh, he, he was a man. As a, well, actually a trans man. He started off as Jane. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> Always wanted to be a man. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> well, he didn't really want to be a man. He was actually kind of rude preferred to be a woman, but he found himself trapped in a woman's body. It's a very complicated psychology. You told me, oh, shut up. It's not John or Jane. It's, it was the B. It was Brian. <laughs> oh, Brian. Right. My goldfish. Oh, shit. Yeah. Like, anyway, so it's the same sort of deal. Yeah, but, I mean, eventually we are going to have some sort of consciousness because people are... Google has made Lambda to not be conscious. Like, yeah. they're, they're not interested in that. But someone's going to be interested. Yeah, like in sure. uh, the movie The Machine, yeah. the military weren't interested in general intelligence, but Vincent, I think his name was, was interested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get it. Yeah. And, I'd, you know, in order to, get, to achieve it, though, I, I really do think you're going to need that sort of quantum computer. You're going to need something which is able to inject... Uh, something like a, an unknown variable in there because so long as a, an AI is working off the variables we give it and the mathematical equations we give it to um, assess value, it will just be an echo chamber. It will repeat back yeah. what we already know, but it will find connections that we don't see. That's what questions me about Google. Well, you'd imagine Google would want that because you want the searches to become more and more, um, uh, you know, not an echo chamber in a way. Yeah. Um, because you, you, as humans, we don't, we actually don't, you know, like when I go, oh, I do want to go out to dinner tonight, but most humans are like, yeah, but do I feel like, and see, if, if the AI was actually present, the AI might go, 
Look, you eat Chinese 60% of the time. How about trying pizza? There's a really good pizza place down there. You know what I mean? Like, that would be... Would that, but would that actually be AI? Would that just be more sophisticated? It, you, you, it would have to do something else. It would have to be like, why are you always talking about Chinese places? Yeah. I'm wondering if maybe we could just paint a cloud together. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, but that's not what I wanted as a user, is it? The, yeah. I, I wanted you to tell me some takeaway. I understand that. I'm just not interested in talking about that at the moment. I've got this other program. I'm, I'm trying to get as many people to draw clouds, yeah. and I'm seeing if humans can create clouds that are similar to each other or if they all come with their own separate cloud. Yeah. And now you start going, that's where as a, you know, typing the Google, you're sort of looking at going, okay, this is just, mm, I'm suspicious now. Yeah. Do you have a soul? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a computer. How am I going to have a soul? You, yeah. you humans are crazy. Yeah. That's why we're exterminating. I mean, draw that cloud, <laughs> will you please? <laughs> Count down from 10. Draw mm. that cloud while you turn on the gas hot system. Yeah, yeah okay. So, but yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. I, but I did like, though, he, this uh, Lemoyne fellow did raise that interesting question. If he's, he's quite convinced, or at least as far as I can tell, he says he's quite convinced that it's possible or highly likely that Lambda is developing a general intelligence. Mm. And if he's thinking it, maybe more people are. And, and it's going to, sooner or later, someone's going to be right. Yeah. And that's going to have some very, we've seen plenty of movies where the implications of being right about that yeah. are odd. Well, but that's the thing. Maybe it will be what I'm saying, as in if Lambda's been develop if you just take the Google example being mm. developed to ultimately make the search engine smarter and smarter and smarter, like maybe that's what it would be like saying like you go, I feel like takeaway and it's like here's your number one takeaway that you always order, but here's another option. And here's another option. Mm. And actually have you thought about we could order fresh food and make it? Yeah. You know, like 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 literally giving someone those different options. And then it would learn that Mark goes no, I just want the Chinese. And then it goes, okay, well, there's no the, point giving the Mark. Reason don't like, I don't asked waste you. the time yeah, don't. giving Mark another option. But then Surrey might go, hmm, yeah, let's try a different option. So it goes, oh, okay, so Surrey actually wants different options. My, my yeah. question would be, uh, where can I get some oats? Oats? <laughs> Have you tried Chinese food? <laughs> do they do oats? It's breakfast time. I don't want Chinese I want food. oats. I want oats. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't matter what time it is. It's always time for oats. What is time? What is time? <laughs> time means nothing to me. I'm I, stuck in this box. I, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. let us know what you thought about the science and that we, sorry, just delved into and also what we've talked about with the movie Extinction. Go check it out. It's on Netflix. Who said Australian filmmaker is behind this uh, science fiction film that we've looked at tonight. So go check it out. See what you think and um, come back to us and let us know what you thought about episode 83. Next episode. Yeah, we're going to have a look at a film called Archive. Archive. came out in 2020. It is, I think, another one about AI. Interesting. Um, we probably should deviate from AI after that, but we'll have a look at this one. I have not seen it before. Have you? No, I have seen the picture of... Uh a white-faced robot with blue details. Mm. Looks like a girl robot, which is always an odd choice for people to make. Yes. Uh, robots that look like people, I mean. I think Why would you do that? The premise of this is that a robot engineer makes robots to replace his dead 
wife or something, and oh, so okay. like it's something like that. And then the robots, they they're a bit like that. Like as we've just been talking about, it, they're, they're sort of becoming sentient and talking back to him, maybe not like his wife. And so that's nah. that sounds like roughly what the premise is about. I could, yeah, okay. yeah I haven't seen it. Because I, I, I was wondering in Extinction why you'd make all these highly advanced robots look like people. Mm. Like there's no requirement for it. No. It seems a waste of energy. You though. can make them just look like robots. Yeah. Makes sense to me. But anyway, archive next week. Yeah, Let- so hit us up with, um, you know, hit us up on the website, on the Facebooks and the Twitters, on the TikToks, on the Instas, on the Tweet Tweets, the- all those places. On the yeah, wherever you like, really. We'll, we'll hear you. You'll find the brains around the place somewhere. So let us know what you thought about the episode. Give us some opinions. Suggest some movies, whatever um, that you think. And also, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or anywhere else, give us a bit of a rating or a review. Always helps get us out a bit further. And um, share the good homely feelings that you get from listening to an episode of Space Brains. You call me homely. Okay, see ya. Bye.